Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast, and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated. Check. You're here. I'm so excited to be here. I'm starstruck. No, stop it. I'm telling you. No way. I told people, I was like, this is going to be the first podcast I'm actually starstruck. Oh, it's no. Well, it's just because you came into my life at that intense time of MPD discovery. You were mm. like one of the, you know. So wow. you're Lisa Romano. Yeah. <laughs> breakthrough Life Coach. Yes. Yep. Podcast episode what? what? 122. 122. That's exciting. Yeah. It's exciting. I think it's Lisa A. Romano. Yes. Lisa A. Romano. Yeah. Breakthrough life coach. That's it. Because yeah, I, I want you to break through. Yeah. And help us learn that we are enough. Amen, brother. I am enough. You are enough. You were born enough. Yeah. You'll always be enough. Yeah. You'll never not be enough. What do you think of... Uh, how, how did you start getting into doing a YouTube channel on this and how did you have the confidence to do that? I didn't really have the confidence to do it. Um, right. What I knew, I felt like I had to do it. So. Like it was a calling? Well, you know, I went through all of my stuff with my family and didn't know that I was codependent until my marriage really started to disintegrate. Right. Um, I had grown up being called crazy feeling very invalidated, feeling very not enough. Right. Um, and when I married my ex-husband, I didn't realize that I married someone who was very similar to my mother's energy. Right. Somebody who withheld love, somebody who knew what I needed and would deliberately withhold it and enjoyed me chasing after it and falling apart when I didn't get it. Um, gaslighting, that type of stuff, passive aggressiveness, and my body started to revolt through asthma and migraine headaches and rashes that the doctors couldn't figure out. I was being tested for cancer and autoimmune things. And mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with you, kid. How could there be nothing wrong with me? Right. I can't breathe. And I have these terrible migraine headaches and my stomach's bothering me. And look at me, I'm covered in rashes. Like, nope, no logical medical reason for why you are the way that you are. Mm. And during a really bad asthma attack, I had a doctor who I really didn't even like that much said, you better listen to your body because your body's listening to you. Your body knows the score. Yeah. Yeah. Your body keeps the score. Yeah. 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 And it was the first time it was so weird. Like someone who, if I say it, they'll go, oh, yeah, I know what that feels like. I needed an authority figure to say it's okay to tap into yourself. Mm -hmm. I, didn't have the, I didn't have the permission to look within because I'd been so invalidated. Yeah. And so I started like, my body's listening to me. My body's what's really going on? And that's when I went home and I said to my ex-husband, I can't pretend anymore. Like, I'm so unhappy. And he said, well, you're crazy because right. I am happy. He gaslit you or? Well, I, I just, I think that he really was happy. Right. I think that he was really happy. I think he was happy in our codependent relationship, me taking care of him, me acquiescing, me trying to get his approval, him withholding it. I think he was in a very comfortable position, mm -hmm. me financially dependent upon him. He was in a really uh, cushy place. We had three kids. I was taking care of them. I was completely dependent upon him.
I cooked, I cleaned, I took care of the kids. Like, I'm not unhappy. You're the one that's complaining, so you must be the one with all the problems. Yeah, you're the crazy one. And so that's you know, that was the beginning of the end. And then when after four or five therapists, I finally found one that said, it's going to take everything you've got to like deal with this issue from childhood, which is you are codependent, mm-hmm. and you're suffering from depression, but you also have unrecovered adult children of alcoholics and parents. Right. So you're being, you're, you grew up in a dry home. Mm. And I was like, what does that mean? And that's started my journey. And when I, it hit me like a lightning bolt, like I was subconscious. I was on autopilot. I had literally been programmed to not love myself. Yeah. I grew up in a dysfunctional home that looked perfect on the outside that invalidated me. No wonder I felt crazy. Mm-hmm. It was the opposite of what a child should grow up in. And I didn't know it. Right. And so I didn't know that to point to that because my parents looked like Ken and Barbie. Right. You know, and the house was clean and we had three meals a day and we went to private school. It had to be me. I must be crazy because I feel so out of sorts. But wasn't there, was there any kind of abuse in the home? Did you know you were in an abusive situation at home or you didn't even know? No. You You didn't even know? No. Verbal abuse, you know, being minimized, withholding love, being told that you're crazy. Hmm. That was par for the course. When you think that you're the problem, you don't think it's abuse. You think you're the reason this is happening. Yeah, that's true. But as you get older, I think you kind of catch on that you're that you're fo- like that your folks might be a bit off. At least, <laughs> I think it took me a long time. Right. I think that you're ahead of the curve if you know they're not as they're not as smart as I thought they were, or something's up with them. I think that you're ahead of the curve if you're actually able to get, see that. Yeah. But in my situation, that's I thought true. It was me. Okay, you totally thought it was you. Oh, it was all me. I mean, because to me, it was like a mix. Mm-hmm. Definitely self-hatred and yep. toxic shame and mm-hmm. living below the veil of consciousness, like you often say. Mm-hmm. And your you parents know, but, doing that too? Yeah, of course. Yeah, but they all, there was also some other things going on that were a bit more like, wait, that's wrong. That's clearly wrong. Right. Like, that's and, awesome. Yeah, so that, I guess, was fortunate. Yeah, because yeah. like when you grow up in a home where you it, it messes with your head when yeah. there's nothing to point at, I couldn't point at alcohol, right. I couldn't point at drugs, I couldn't point at abuse like with my parents. Although it was a very controlling relationship, yeah, you know my mother wouldn't complain about following my father around and his rage, and she just whatever he wanted, whatever he said. And we followed suits. So we thought that was the norm. Did you end up going no contact with them for a time? Yeah. How how long? About a year, where okay. it was just zero I, contact. Don't I didn't want them to call me. Right. My skin was being ripped off. Yeah. And I, no. The discovery of the MPD epidemic is mm. so crazy. When you like first wake up to how that's been operating yep. in your life. It's just like you can't stop watching YouTube videos. Like I must have watched five million of your YouTube mm-hmm. videos and lots of other people too. Mm-hmm. I mean, yours is some of the best to me. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, there's lots of great resources. But when you first make that discovery, it's it's unlike anything else. 
It's the awakening. It's like, oh, that's what's wrong. How and, did that happen oh. for you? Because you were sort of pre all the YouTube yeah. YouTubers and all that. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. I Googled stuff and started discovering things and one thing led to another. But mm -hmm. how did you get to that awareness? Well, the therapist said to me, I want you to go home and I want you to buy this book, Codependent No More. And I was like, okay. And it, would ter it terrified me because I read the first couple of pages and I slammed the book shut and I said, I'm never going to be able to unsee or unlearn what I learn. And I'm forever going to be changed by the information in this book. Right. And that's what happened. It was like, oh, my God, I'm codependent. Mm -hmm. My mother was codependent. And here I was programming my children to be codependent. And I really, I just, I took a very analytical uh, approach. And I just started to do doing side-by-side -side analysis. Like if children grew up in a happy, healthy home, what would they experience? Mm -hmm. They'd feel seen. They'd feel validated. Right? They'd feel nurtured. They'd feel forgiven. They'd feel safe. I didn't feel any of those things. Right. I never felt safe. I never. I, I, I felt so invisible. Then when I was about seven years old, I pretended to faint mm. in the street during a snowstorm. And a car stopped. And I was like, well, I guess I'm real. <laughs> Somebody saw me because I'm walking around my house like, you can't see me? Like, right. There's the invisible child. Well, yeah. And not only that, invisible, but also very much um, my mother had a lot of uh, unresolved stuff. And me being her oldest, her oldest and also a female, I think she projected her unresolved stuff onto me. So feeling resented, feeling in the way. Yeah. The only thing that felt good was to get out of her way, which is so opposite of what a child's developing brain needs yeah. in order to feel safe and be ordered in order to feel like you can be social um, and trust that you are enough to make contact with other people and not shrivel and recoil. So I got the exact opposite of what I needed. So invisible, but also when you did see me, I was disgusting to you. Right. It's pretty rough. That's rough. Yeah. Well, that's like what I like. What Ross Rosenberg says: uh, self-love deficit disorder. Yeah, that's such a great way of defining what codependency is. Yeah, it's a loss of selfhood, and you can't develop a self unless you have positive mirroring. Yeah. So I would always say, like, how how could you have self-esteem as a child if you don't have a self? Yeah. Or if the self that you have, you you've decided is unworthy. Right. Because when you look into the eyes of your mother and father, what's reflected back? You're unworthy. You're a pain in the ass, kid. Get yeah. lost. Yeah. It's so wild with this, too, though, because when you do go through the long, grueling process of recovering mm -hmm. from codependency, which I don't think there's an end point to no. it. It's just, an, it's just a maintenance and mm -hmm. a progression. Mm -hmm. um, but when you get far enough along and the, uh, the sort of MPD situations in your life also alter because you're you're approaching those situations from a different place of power yes. like it can't it's almost like it can't really get to mm -hmm. you as much mm -hmm. but w one of the questions i have and one of the things that messed me up on the mpd recovery um thing was when i discovered ho'oponopono mm -hmm. you know i love yes. you i'm sorry please forgive me thank you the mm -hmm. mantra about self-empowerment mm -hmm. and because it in that mantra the philosophy is everything in your field of consciousness is is your responsibility mm -hmm. including everybody else's sort of problems and mm -hmm. stuff like and you pray over that to 
to to resolve that. I guess the thing I think that I've always wanted people to ask about the MPD versus codependency thing is, mm-hmm. um, because also there's the what you what you see is what you are, mm-hmm. and people often go like, "Am I the narc or what?" Mm-hmm. But like when you're seeing all these weird subversive psychological games, mm-hmm. it is like a house of mirrors yeah. in which like wait and because they're never going to validate that you're perceiving things correctly because <laughs> right. one of the main tactics is to invalidate your perception so you crazy making mm-hmm. and mashed potato brains i heard you say mm-hmm. in one of mm-hmm. your recent videos yep you know so what what's your take on that I, I guess it's like a complicated question but like ultimately i feel like you have to get to a place of self-ownership and self-responsibility again like there's a lot of narrative on the MPD thing about mm-hmm. like they're bad and mm-hmm. we're good and mm-hmm. they're evil, you know, and that doesn't really work long term. Not in the spiritual world. Right. Not in the vibrational world. Right. Because there's only vibration. Right. So how so, do you deal with that? So um, I think this is a really tough thing. I always tell my clients, the clients that say, yeah, but and I go, are we going to have a moral conversation, which is an egoic 3D conversation? Or are we going to have a spiritual conversation? Because they're not the same conversation. Mm. So if I want to be right and I need to make this other person wrong, then I'm justifying my anger for this person, right? So that's a 3D conversation, and that's fine. That's why most people go into therapy, because they're unable to make the narcissist validate them, validate that they're actually a narcissist. So this is you're, you want to change someone, right? Mm-hmm. So if I go into therapy, that's what I did. I went to therapy wanting to like understand myself and hopefully change my ex-husband. Doesn't he see what he's doing to me? Right? And then so that was my thing, wanting to change him. But on the other side of it, he wanted me to change too. So we were both stuck. Right? So I think it's when it comes to understanding narcissism, narcissists live in a true false reality. So they are protecting themselves from a lot of shame. And because they're not self-reflective, you know, they don't want to go there. They can't go there. They'd implode if they went there and said, I'm the problem or I have, I have to forgive you or I'm looking for you to validate me and praise me and, and I get to treat you any way I want to and that's wrong and I have to have empathy for you. They would implode. They can't do it. Right. So I had to get to a point where in my family, I understood that my parents came with their own set of programming, right? My dad's father was a violent alcoholic. His mother committed suicide when he was like three or four, right? Back in the 40s. So it was really rough for my dad, right? He was the youngest of four children, you know, and he had to learn how to survive. And so he became very tough. So in his world, it's better to be eaten. It's better to eat than be eaten, you know, so he had to def- develop all of these defense mechanisms to protect the fear that he had inside of him. And he died that way. He just died in February. Sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. He died that way. He, 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 you know, he died exactly the way he lived, afraid um, and unable to access his emotions. Um, I had to get to a point where I understood that he was who he was and it wasn't for me to change him. And if I was going to continue to evolve, I had to accept him and um, get to a point where I was able to even thank my experience with him for teaching me what I needed needed to learn, which is ultimately to let go. 
mm. and accept people for who they are, where they are. Um, you really can only judge someone based on their level of self-awareness at the time. Right. You know, and someone's level of self-awareness is always going to be a mirror to their personal experiences. Yeah. So I had to get to a point where it was just like, I have to let go and accept these people in my life for who they are and walk away with what has this taught me to do? Because I realized that having narcissistic people in my life, I had an attachment, right? So I wanted to take care of my ex-husband as a codependent so I could feel validated. Mm -hmm. so, if, so if I take care of you and I do, do a good job, you're going to pat me on the back? Oh, I have purpose. Yeah. You know, I'm running away from my lack of self. Whereas if I was really healthy, I would have never entered into that marriage in the first place. I would have known we're not equally yoked. No way. <laughs> no, I would have known it. Yeah. You know, and so I've I've gotten to the point where if I I can't you can't talk at it you you can't in life you have to learn how to not talk out of both sides of your mouth. Mm, what do you mean by that? If you want peace, you have to be peaceful. Right. And as long as you fixate on what someone else is doing that you can't control, you're not going to be peaceful. Yeah. So I had to get to a point where I accepted that people were the way they were. And I developed um, tools like Shati Shati, you know, and the one, two, three process. I developed tools that allowed me to let go and let people be who they were and to stop pulling them into my vibrational experience. What's Shati Shati? <laughs> so I'm um, at work one day. I worked in this uh, wellness center. I was a personal coach for a long time and a uh, um, fitness trainer for a long time. And I did um, like um, I created meal plans for athletes. And at, it was a really rough time. I was separated at the time and I was getting no joke anywhere from 10 to 30 text messages and or phone calls a day from my ex-husband who was very, very angry that I was going through with the divorce. He never expected that to happen. And I was distraught with anxiety, distraught. Never knew when he was going to call, when he was going to be outside in the parking lot, what he was going to say, what he wasn't going to say, what he was going to say to the kids. It was always this what if, what if, what if. Right. And I was like, I was understanding anxiety, anticipatory anxiety, not living in the now, worried about a bridge that hadn't even appeared yet, making myself sick, trying to control outcomes that I could not really control. So I was learning a lot about living in the now and um, understanding that if I pay attention to it, I'm basically breathing it into my reality. Right. I'm giving it life, yeah. CPR. Yeah. So one day the phone was going off in the locker and I just looked at the phone and I saw all these terrible text messages. <clears throat> and I was understanding he, he was addicted to the matrix or he was addicted to my reaction. Yeah, he was trying to trigger you. Yeah. He wanted my reaction. Yeah. And I was so angry, like, how could you treat me this way? I'm the mother of your kids. I'm only trying to make a living. You know, I walked away without alimony. I don't get any, any health insurance. Like, you should be so grateful. You should leave me alone, dude. You know, like, right. stop. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't enough, right? right? Yeah. So I was so angry. But again, here I was below the veil of consciousness reacting to him reacting to me. Mm -hmm. So we were stuck. You were in the matrix. I was in the matrix. Of, of his madness. And my own. And your own, yeah, of course. On my own, because codependent. Yeah. If I'm codependent, I'm codependent on something that's happening outside of me. Right. So I was like, nope, 
nope, nope, nope. And I just closed my phone. I had a flip phone at the, fine, at the time. And I was shutty, like, shutty, shutty, shutty. <laughs> no, I use that technique a lot, or I have done in my whole, whole recovery of this. Just like when I know I'm in a triggering situation with yeah. somebody, just do not read whatever, you know. It's, it's brilliant that you can do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh. And if you really... And also studying like quantum mechanics, the law of attraction, it just makes sense, right? Like if I'm focusing on it, it's going to grow. I'm giving energy to it, right? So if I start to pull my attention away from it, it will eventually cease to exist. But it's the, we have to recognize that we're ego and we we have a brain that is primitive and reactive. And so then the goal is to manage my own ego and manage my own my own my brain's reactivity and to not jump into that soup and right. to develop um you know self-control yeah. and to be conscious about what are you what are you creating in the next moment because if you answer this phone call right you're stepping into the creation of the next phone call with him it's wild when you uh learn that your a mental and emotional space is highly valuable and oh, like because when you grow up a codependent you just give that away you don't have boundaries everyone's no. triggering you left and right and you're just like you just think that that's the way the world is and yeah. you're mad when that's the great thing about learning about this whole other thing mm-hmm. that sort of liberates you and like what you said in one of your last videos about you're supposed to be a hundred watt light bulb not yeah. a five watt light bulb and, and all those things turn you into a five watt light bulb mm-hmm. or a one yeah watt, watt light bulb you know it's sort of like um without a boundary like how do i explain like if you have a cup right you put water in it you can you can fill the cup up but if the cup starts to disintegrate you can't you can't gather up any water so right. it's the same thing with electricity or energy, if you have no boundary and you're constantly reacting to what's happening around you, or you yeah. think you should be, or you don't think what should be happening is happening and you're reacting, your boundary is being lost. Because, and that's why I developed the one, two, three process, which is contr- focus on what you can control versus what you can't control. Right. But in the whole space of that, you have to honor your experience so quickly that is accept how you feel. So if you're pissed off, accept it. If you're frustrated, accept it. If you're jealous or envious or rageful or sad or full of grief or disillusioned, just just stop and just, wow, this is how I really, really feel. Because codependents dissociate, they deny, they block, or they, they do something I call layer. So I'm pissed off, I'm pissed off. Or mm-hmm. I'm sad that I'm sad. Right. Or I'm angry that I'm sad. No, 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 just be sad. Right. You're just chill, just how do you feel? Tap into yourself, how do I feel, right? Why is that? Why is that important? Because as you as a codependent, you've been invalidated. So you better start learning how to validate how you feel. That's step one to a boundary. And step two is um, feel it in your body. How do you know you're sad? Mm-hmm. How do you know you're angry? How do you know you're disillusioned? How is your body sending you the signal that wow, this is really how I feel? So you have to come back into your body. And then the third thing is um, decide what you're going to do about how you feel. That's the big step because we get we might get stuck in the feeling, but we don't know what action to take, mm. right? Because what usually they it's think? running away from it, like watching a TV show or yep. eating ice cream. Or, That's very common, or it's or reacting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or it's or, reacting. You know, so the third step is what are you going to do about how you feel? 
but you have to run it through three parameters. What can I control? What can't I control? And ultimately, how do I want to feel? And that's why when I shut the phone that day, it was like, the goal was, well, how do you want to feel tomorrow? Peaceful. So what do you have to do today? Shut the phone. Mm -hmm. Stop engaging. But he's going to keep calling me. He's going to keep, that's okay. Mm -hmm. Detach. Leave him in the matrix. Mm -hmm. Leave him in the matrix like a little Tasmanian devil. Just stop. <laughs> Just let him go. That's a good visualization. It's so right? helpful. <laughs> a little Tasmanian devil. Knock yourself out. Because it makes him a cartoon, which ultimately, you know, that's what it is. It's a cartoon trying mm -hmm. to get to your soul. Yeah. It, to me, it's like. Drawn by the devil. Yeah, it's just, I, th I think that um, we all come here to awaken. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, when we're dealing with someone who is so asleep, they force you to awaken. Right. That's so funny. That's a really way good way to put that. That's a great way to put that. It's sort of like knocking on the door and finally no one comes. Well, thank God you didn't open the door. Yeah. Because I was supposed to walk away. You know what's wild, though, is... This whole MPD explosion of information, mm -hmm. um, it, that means that lots of narcs are also waking up to their narcissistic behavior. Um, and so that so some of them that are evil, I guess, mm -hmm. more or, you know, more sort of consciously they trying get the cheat code. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like the psychopathic variety. Yeah. Gets the cheat code and gets to upgrade their techniques. Yeah. So yes. the techniques need to keep getting upgraded because these people are smart and, and and creative mm -hmm. as as all get out. So yeah. not to be underestimated. But then I think there's others that are genuinely disturbed that they have those traits and want to heal. And I know the rhetoric on the whole thing is mm -hmm. there can't you can't heal and that's mm -hmm. it. And, but is that true? I mean, do some people can and. And I guess it's a two-part question, too, because it's also like everyone's kind of got shades of all these behaviors. Right, so it's, it's really hard to just like, like I was kind of trying to say it before, but just put them in mm -hmm. separate categories and we're all kind of the stew mm -hmm. of dysfunction, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, but do you, do you think people can recover from the narc thing and how do you see this community evolving mm -hmm. through time? I think that a, a lot, there are people people who like a malignant narcissist doesn't really care if they're narcissistic right you know they they have no empathy they actually enjoy inflicting pain right you know and they may actually have brain brain issues like there might be something wrong with the empathy center in the Death brain soul issues <laughs> soul and you know it could also be a, a brain issue like you know oh, they, right. they don't have the amygdala or the what do you call it they don't have empathy neurons or right. mirror neurons that are that are functioning or firing Mm -hmm. which is really scary. So they won't respond to uh, someone in pain the way you might. Right. Right. So you see someone in pain, you immediately re relate. You have a somatic experience like, wow, you know, this, that dog just got hit by a car. Like, wow, look, at you have a somatic. There are people that don't have that. Like, it's missing, you know. Um, and the pleasure center of the brain may actually get activated when they see suffering. Yeah, you know, that's wild. That's scary. But they get dopamine from that. That's so scary. That's a design flaw. Oh, it if certainly I, is. If I could make Some a criticism, water. God, yeah. Yeah. that would be a design flaw, yeah. I think. I don't know. Yeah, like, what happened to the what water? What happened there, bud? Yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> but I think, like, you know, like, um, and there are people who are, um, 
more narcissistic because their parents taught them entitlement. Right. Sure, you're better. Sure, cut the line. Sure, do this. You don't have to care about that, you know? Mm. And then there are people who are become narcissistic because of the severe trauma in their life. Um, and I know that the, you know, um, research suggests that most people with NPD, narcissistic personality disorder, don't get better because lots of times they don't think there's anything wrong with them. Right. But I think someone who has high narcissistic traits, who recognizes, you know, I do have this problem. And I think if they really, 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 really want to change, mm -hmm. I think anything's possible. Yeah. Um, it's not easy because to do this work, you really have to embrace the shame that created this armor that caused you to um, have a lack of empathy for others and just put yourself first and develop this false self. You have to crack all those layers to get to the to the part of you that really needs to be healed. So that's that's quite the journey. Yeah. Do you have any siblings? Yeah, I have a brother and a sister. Brother and a sister, and what do they think of what you're what you like? And when you first started being like going on YouTube and re revealing all this and stuff, like weren't you like? scared of the reaction from the family and oh, yeah. like i mean that i know that must have, i know that was terrifying my knees were shaking so yeah. how, how did you get over that and then what was the response from your family did they feel betrayed or like well it first started with um me recognizing you know that i needed to get a divorce and my family was very upset with that and i sort of feel like it was classic you know, sometimes you come from a dysfunctional family and you just feel like if I surpass my parents, I'm betraying them. Mm -hmm. And if I surpass them and do what, if I ask for more than what they settled for, I'm out. Mm -hmm. So I feel like there was always this unconscious need for me to tamper myself down because the need for my parents was so strong, you know, and I'd always felt like an outsider anyway, and I didn't want to risk that. And I knew saying, I'm getting a divorce, even though you love him. Mm-hmm. I'm getting a divorce. I knew that was going to tick them off. Right. And I did it anyway. Because they loved him. They, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. they loved him, and it, it, it also reinforced she's crazy. Right. Oh, he was playing into the, the old school narrative on Lisa. Oh, yeah, they all did. And I knew it. So it was like a really... So to say, to tell everybody, go, you jump in the lake, I'm getting divorced anyway, and you can think what you want and think I'm a bitch and think I'm terrible yeah. and think I'm selfish. Go right ahead, think what you want. I'm done. I've got three babies that I've programmed incorrectly and this is my cross to bear and I'm going to do what I have to do without all of you I'm just going to do it and then um I started writing a book about it because it it seemed to me to make so much sense it's not you it's your programming mm. and like if you don't know your family's dysfunctional and you don't know that you've been programmed for dysfunction you are going to go out into the light into the world not knowing that you're living below the veil of consciousness seeking validation thinking it's you being so frustrated looking to be validated, you're never gonna live a fulfilled life, you're never gonna feel like you're enough. Relationships are always going to feel empty. You know, you're just never gonna feel enough. So I thought it was a strong enough message to risk everything mm. and just start writing about it. And then I wrote about it and I, I was like, well, when am I gonna publish it? And I thought, well, maybe when my parents die because right. I'm outing my family, Yeah. you know? And then my brother-in-law committed suicide in his backyard. I'm so sorry. Yeah, he, he committed suicide. He, My sister and he were extremely, co we were all codependent. My whole right. family, my brother and my sister and I, nobody escaped. 
Right. And when I got the news that he had taken his life, it was like a light, literally a flash in my head. And it was like, you have to publish that book. You have to help people. You have to publish that book. Right. And then... It's like a purpose-driven... Yeah, that that's the thing that can usurp all that toxic mm-hmm. holding yourself back is like like the voice of God, I guess, mm-hmm. for lack of a better way of saying it, just giving you purpose like yeah. that. And it was like... I realized like they abandoned you anyway. Right. You know, so now to be out in the open, you know, and I always felt I was so ashamed that I never got, never felt like I got their love. And, but now I was doing something. I was drawing a line in the sand. I'm going to talk about my experiences. Yeah. And now you can actually say, see, she's crazy. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was handing it to them writing this book. I was, but I was just like, it's okay. And I thought, if one person walks away from thinking, oh, my family, I come from an alcoholic family. Oh, my mother was codependent, so I learned to be, and my dad has, is, has high narcissistic traits. Oh, that's why I am the way this I am. If one person doesn't have to suffer what he suffered, you know, my brother-in-law, then, then, it'll be, then it will be worth it. But yeah, they, my brother called my ex-husband and said, we're done with her. Right. And my daughter called me and she's like, daddy said that, you know, your brother said that mm. they want nothing to do with you. You sold them out for money. I was like, money? I make like 10 cents a book. <laughs> money. Sold them out for I money. I self-published this book, you knuckleheads. You know, what do you think I'm making? That's yeah, funny. But they just, you know, what do you think I'm making? Okay. And I, you know, it was just, it was just, I just felt it was something within me. Just, just keep going. Yeah. You followed yeah. that voice. Good on you. Yeah, it was scary though. And then I know. it was so scary. And then my ex-husband told my brother that I said things that I never said about my dad. You know, he's Imagine like, that. Oh, God. <laughs> Do you know that your sister said that your father touched her inappropriately? Oh, I never no. said that. Yeah. But it brought me to my knees because again, all of these codependency issues with my family, thinking yeah. if my knucklehead brother goes back and tells my father that, my father is going to believe that that's going to hurt him. Right. And it was a lie. It was just the triangulation. Mm-hmm. It was just trying to, the smear campaign. Smear campaign. Good just, old smear mm. campaign. <laughs> you know, trying to get anybody in the world to see, to twist the narrative to make it seem like he was the victim. Mm-hmm. And I really was the crazy one. Yeah. Um, and then it was just, I cried so hard that day. I don't know if I had a dream or if it was, I don't know what it was, but I was on the kitchen floor and. I was, I guess, half sleeping, whatever. And I just had this vision of, of God that, that I would consider was God. And he was shaking his head like, you know you didn't say it. And right. I know you didn't say it. What are you going to do? You're going to knock on every door right. and say, by the way, who cares? Let them think whatever they want to think. And I was like, like a rag doll on my kitchen floor. I was like, that's so true. Like, I can't control what Can't comes- control what people think. No. And as an aside on the smear campaign thing, uh, like... There's so much awareness of all these things now Yeah. that now I think when somebody tries to launch a smear campaign, it doesn't look like it's not as easy because yes. so many people are aware. Like if somebody's all of a sudden talking bad about somebody, it's like, oh, why are you doing that? Like, yeah, yeah. People have all like we've all gotten smarter and yes. wiser to this. Not everybody. Right. And smear campaigns can still work. It's usually like I'm concerned. It has yes. to come with. I'm really concerned about so and so. Like it has to be veiled a little bit. Like, yeah. But so mm-hmm. when so, did you get to a place of peace with your family? Because it feels like in later videos you were talking about like you kind of were like 
you you talk about them lovingly mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Like that's the thing with like there. It's not this like it's not black and white. I feel mm-hmm. like did you come to a place of any peace with them or? Oh yeah, because well, what happened was, and when you at least in my case, what happened was I got to a point where you know. I realized that there was so much subtle abuse or innocuous abuse, Mm -hmm. you know, and my mother, for instance, had gotten away with it my whole life, you know, and there was one day in particular where she was verbally abusive to me in front of my kids. Mm -hmm. And I was in therapy at the time. And my therapist said, you know, the next time someone tries to hurt you, don't act like they didn't Uh ask yourself how you feel. And I had therapy that day and she said whatever she said. And I just said, how do I feel? And the tears just came. And of course, what are you crying about? You make a big deal out of nothing. You're Mm -hmm. just looking for attention. There she goes again. Big drama queen. I'm like, (sighs) and once you open up that, how do you feel? You can't shut it down anymore. You know, because it was always like, pretend she didn't say it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But before you get to that point, you're like, I shouldn't feel this way. She's going to call me a drama queen. She's going to say I'm overreacting. So shut it down, shut it down. But once you flip that lid, well, that switch, it's like, well, how do you feel? I just couldn't contain it. So I went in the back room. I called my kids. I said, come on, put your jackets on. We're leaving. And she came in. Where are you going? And I said, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. And I said, I'm not 12 anymore. And you can't talk to me like this anymore. Right. And if, and if a woman ever needed her mother, it was now because I was going through my divorce. Right. I said, now move. Get out of my way and move. Mm-hmm. And my father's shaking his head. Oh, this house is so crazy. And my brother's saying, get out. You always cause a problem. And I'm like oh flipping everybody off. So like, you're the scapegoat. Yeah, yeah, kinda. for sure. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah I'm giving everybody the, the finger. Ju- like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm but, done. <laughs> but done. that's the other thing, because that's, an, in a way, a narc victory. Like when, yes. they, cause, uh, yes. when they cause us to react. Yes. In a, in a finally we snap like I've heard you even talk mm-hmm. about in videos before and we snap mm-hmm. and then because eventually you just keep prodding somebody yes. they're going to have you know therapy or no therapy yes. they'll have a breaking point I think what happened to me was I was I was reacting before I knew what was really happening mm-hmm. and then when I started to understand the madness of it like you're not supposed to you're not supposed to want to set me on fire you're my mom right i was like wow that's messed up you know like my father acting like it wasn't gonna happen like it wasn't happening enabling kind of for sure and my brother you know just wanting to be my mother's golden child Mm -hmm. and the jealousy between he and i and i was just Mm. like this is such classic dysfunctional alcoholic stuff you know yeah like i began to understand the house was crazy so when i had that breakdown it was so different it was like I'm calling you all out on I it. I see. So this didn't feel like a the kind of reaction that no. you feel guilty about later. None. And no, you feel, this was an empowered kind of vibe. I'm done. Right. I'm done. I I'm not chasing. I'm not chasing your approval. Yeah. Go right ahead and think I'm crazy. Disown yeah. me. Call call grandma. Call grandpa. Call whoever you got to call. Call yeah. the neighbors. Start writing letters. Start sending your emails. Yeah. I don't care. Interesting that it was rooted in this therapeutic. Yes. Process and your feelings. How do that, you feel? That's interesting. That because that because a lot of times if you do react, even if you're in the right, mm-hmm. you will you will feel guilty. You yep. will feel like ah oh, they got me or ah yeah. oh, I have you know like be tempted to apologize for your reaction for getting treated like crap. I think it was. I think when you when you're just reacting, 
um, and you're not aware of why you're reacting, you can be disempowered by that. Right. But when you're reacting and you're ready to set the boundary and you're willing to change the entire paradigm, like these people were not coming into my life again mm-hmm. unless they came in with some level of respect. There's just, you're not, you're not allowed in. And that's it. And so they eventually they did come in with respect, right? They were, yeah, it took a while. You know, yeah. um, I had, I sold, we sold our house, um, our marital home. I had to buy another house. Um, and I was working with the contractor who unfortunately said he was going to do things that he didn't do. I was a single mom. I had run out of money. I'd paid him everything, you know, that, that I had. That's I didn't typical. want, I didn't want anything more than what he promised me. Right. And my dad happened to be there and the con and my dad said, so, you know, passive aggressive. How do you like working for my daughter? And the contractor's like, Poof. and I looked at my dad. I was like, get out, get out. I said, this guy that I paid a, pe- a pretty penny to do what he said he was going to do isn't doing, and you're not backing me up. It was these little passive aggressive things like she's crazy. She's mm-hmm. a pain in the ass. Right. I was just like, get out. And so I was consistent with that. So if my brother called me and tried to stir the pot, I was like, I got to go. Click. Right. So they were like, wow, she has no tolerance. Like we can't poke the bear anymore. Right. I'm like, Boundaries no. got, got made from self-love. Absolutely. So yeah. and then it was just like, if you're going to, there was nothing left. I was, there was nothing left in me. I needed every ounce of energy I, I could muster to take care of my children. Mm. And so, you know, thank God I had them. And it was like, you can't come into my life because I need this for my kids. So, right. and it was over a year of like, don't call me. And yeah. then they slowly started to come back and, and it was definitely me. I was a new person. I was monitoring them. I didn't need them anymore. Right. So now you're going to be in my life because of choice. Yeah. I don't care if you're my family or my blood. It's irrelevant. I have the same thing going on with my family in mm. terms of I went no contact for three years. Wow. Over. Wow. And still am with my sister, unfortunately. Wow. Um, but my parents and I are having an incredible, great new there you go. connection. And I love them both. And it's been mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. What was the turning point for you? I think it's because uh, I just, like you said, I'm a new person. It's not, I don't need, it's, it's, I'm coming to them as an individuated yep. human now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so those things don't really operate. There was one thing with me and my mom where mm-hmm. I made a boundary, she crossed it. I like said, hey, mm-hmm. with love, I'm going to cut off for a little mm-hmm. bit but i did mm-hmm. it in a loving way and then we came back again and it was mm-hmm. totally fine it wasn't dramatic it was it's just amazing that boundary can't be crossed please don't cross it and you know and it was cool yep and and so it's it but now it feels like like a much more loving relationship at least to me than yep. it ever was before absolutely and i i think it was a direct result of doing all this the brutality of mm-hmm. going through the whole like completely oh, yeah breaking apart and i hope me and my sister can come back together too eventually i think we will like this friendly vibes sent back Mm -hmm, and forth mm -hmm. via the dysfunctional family yeah no chinese phone or whatever you know i totally understand but uh yeah i think what happens is we have to um it's it's how we become self-actualized we have to really break the cord we have to break you know the the family paradigm and find ourself yeah. in our own world and then show up as that person so that the people in our life go oh that's who he is yeah oh that's who she is okay. right you know 
That's right. You have to break away. And then, do you think you're healing like generational pain, like generational things? Because it's such a heavy thing. People who don't go through it have no idea how crazy. Goosebumps. Yeah. It is, right? It's like some kind of, you're going and you're healing like generational stuff. I believe it. Don't you think? I'm covered in goosebumps. You know, I, you know, I studied the work of Dr. Diamond who, who worked with rats. Um, and she proved that, um, eight generations later, a rat pup could have an aversion to a smell that, um, a rat eight generations prior was exposed to. So think about that. That's a traumatic, like, okay, so let's say it's trauma. So that means that, and even Carl Jung says that, you know, you, there is this generational karma that we all carry. You know, um, when I was in nursing school, they talked about junk DNA. I was junk DNA. That doesn't really make sense. But now we have, we understand that our bodies are holding information. Um, it's encoded in ways that we don't yet understand. So I can have an aversion to a scent or a smell that I've never smelt in my life experience, but maybe my grandmother did, Mm. you know? So, you know, um, it didn't start with you is another book where they talk about grandma, um, being pregnant with mom Mm. and the egg that you are is in mom's, um, ovary the day mom is born. So in grandma is you in mom's in form of an egg or Mm -hmm. what will be you inside mom's ovary. You're not even born. You're just an egg, but in one in one female, if you will, is three generations. Pretty fabulous when you think about it. Yeah. And you think about vibrations and we're mostly water, you know, and how, you know, you work in the music industry, you understand patterns, you understand vibrations. Right. And so a, a serious vibrational impact on grandma who's pregnant with mom or the egg that will be mom. You know, it's 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 generational for sure, at least I think so. So when you're healing it, and if if, parody, if um, altered universes are real and or mo- time and space is not exactly. linear, exactly. it's not linear exactly. Yeah. Then what I'm doing now if it is, is happening across all space, right? And pretty fabulous across all space and across all time. It's amazing. That's how important you are. Yeah. That's how important you are. That's how important a ripple is. Yeah. Because it's it's nothing is not being registered by the universe. Nothing. Yeah, I, I realize that so much more and more just even like just when I'm taking really good care of myself, mm-hmm. even if I'm not posting about it, I just yep. can feel that it's helping other people. Absolutely. I feel it now. Yeah, like, it's, isn't that great? It is great because then also it gives you an automatic sense of purpose in yes. doing it beyond just yourself. Yeah, and and you know that I think that's what depression is. Depression is like you just feel so isolated and you don't understand how important you are. You know, you think mm-hmm. that, oh, because I don't have contact with my family or I'm not in a relationship or I just got fired from my job, you know, I'm useless. No, you're not. You could literally mm-hmm. go from feeling desperate to taking care of a plant and just the act of caring, just mm-hmm. the vibration of caring, you know, um, mustering up love within you and nurturing. Just the energy of it sends a ripple out into the universe. So you just start where you are. Your I am enough uh, helped me back back then. I put it on my mirror and mm-hmm. it's, you know, I am enough. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just like those those kind of things. It's like really beneficial. Your, I mean, your work is incredible. Mm-hmm. Did You had a question, didn't you? I got a million questions. But okay. I'll, uh, 
no, I'll just about what you said. I was just curious when you had the three kids and you um, did no contact with mm-hmm. your family with your abusive parents. Do did the kids still communicate with the parents by phone? Like, were you concerned that there would be like, no, or the kids no were contact. cut off too? There was they, they didn't care to contact the kids either. I see, but the kids didn't want to speak to their no, grandparents. There or was they were no, aware. Mm-mm. No, there was, you know, in um at least in my experience, it it it's it's sad, but it's true. It wasn't like my parents really went out of their way to have a really strong relationship with my children. You know, so it wasn't like there was this significant thing that was missing. That's common with scapegoats. Mm-hmm. I've, I've heard the, the the children of the scapegoats get treated kind of scapegoatish. Absolutely. <laughs> That's so yeah, if you're up. not if you're not drinking the Kool Aid they're mixing, yeah. they have no. You're just you're just more of a nuisance than anything. So, you know, um, yeah, my kids got double whammy on both sides because um, I was seen as like just like I wasn't following the rules. You know, I just, I wasn't acquiescing. I was like, what's going on? This feels very controlling. I don't like the way this feels, you know? Yeah. And that was, that presents that a problem. first divorce, did the kids feel what you were feeling or they were, he didn't treat them the same, the same way? My like, ex-husband? Yeah. Were the kids aware? Did you have to sit them down and explain this is what's going on? Oh yeah, this for is sure. What, so they had the same kind of abuse. Well, they, um, well, you know, it's just, it's so hard. It's. It's not a black and white issue, but like when I got divorced, I, I, I needed my children to understand like mommy and daddy are not well and, and it's not going to get better, you know, and give me a year. I used to say to the kids, just give me a year to turn our life around. And I made good on that, you know? Um, but with him, you know, he wasn't really involved with the kids' lives at all when we were married. And suddenly when we got separated, he was playing, you know, I'm here. You know, so it was, very, it was very confusing for the kids. Look, look what mommy's doing. She's separating the family. Look at us. She's just, she's just breaking everybody up. Like, you know, suddenly he knew how to show up for football and he had, he knew how to show up for the karate classes and, and flag football. And it was like, what's happening? You know, so he definitely took advantage of that time and really exploited my desire to end the marriage um, and twisted it. Um, to make it look like I was just, you know, just, I just wanted to be single. Nothing could be further from the truth. I wanted to be in a healthy marriage that could grow, but it was so dysfunctional. And I thought um, I can, and he even told me, he said, what you want doesn't exist. And I broke down and I cried. I was like, what you're saying is that we can't have healthy because you don't believe in it mm-hmm. and you can't achieve what you don't believe in. Like you won't even strive for it. It doesn't exist in your world. So that means it won't exist in the kid's world. I'll never have an opportunity to show them something other than what we have. And that's just not enough for me because I grew up that way. So if I can't show them how to be healthy with you, I'm going to show them how to be healthy alone. Mm. Because I wanted my kids to have the ability to say, this isn't working, which my mother never learned how to do. And my sister didn't learn how to do. So I felt like I have to show my kids how to set a boundary and to believe in themselves, even when everyone else turns against them. Um, and then over time, and my ex-husband used to say it, it's, I used to say, you're a prophet and that's really not a good thing. Cause he would say, what do you think is going to happen when I find a woman? You think I'm going to have time for our kids? And I said, I would hope so. And, um, not long after my husband and I got married, he started dating seriously and he had a falling out with the kids and he hasn't tried to make, you know, make up for that. And, uh, he's just out of their life. 
you know, um, and wants really nothing to do with them. So, and that's really sad. So that once he sad. realized he couldn't manipulate them anymore, it wasn't working. They were no use to him. No use to him. No use. It's hard to have, it's hard to have healthy relationships with boundaries and disappointing people and being disappointed by people. Yeah. It's really difficult to navigate that. That's why I think it's so important to check your ego at the door. Mm -hmm. Like, and what is, do you want to have a relationship with your kids? Because that means they might challenge you mm -hmm. and they might disagree with you and you might have to self-reflect and vice versa. They might have to challenge themselves and self-reflect. But if there's love there and commitment there and honor there, then you'll be able to navigate it. But it was just too much for him. It was just too difficult to check himself and to, and to deal with growing children who weren't afraid of him anymore and weren't interested, weren't going to shut up just so you can buy them, uh, buy them a Razor scooter, you know, or a new cell phone. How did you start reparenting your kids once you got out of that dysfunctional relationship and with this new awareness you had of all these psychological things and you were saying you kind of were programming programming, programming them incorrectly? Yep. How did you then flip it and did you start uh, communicating things you were learning to them directly yeah. or how did you go about that? Well, I started, I knew that, um, that I had modeled a lot of my mother's um, behavior, like no self-care. So I was like running myself into the ground thinking that that was, that was what I needed to do. Achievement or something. Yeah, just life is supposed to be hard. Right. That was the program. You know, you, you, you always have to stay 10 steps of everything. You can't spend money. Um, you know, you can't spend money on yourself. You can't take care of yourself. It always has to be about everybody else, you know, almost like martyrdom, you know. So I was like, that's wrong. You know, I don't want my children to live like this. So it really was me learning about what codependency was, understanding how it manifested, and trying to flip the script. So instead of complaining all the time, I was like, well, where is my power in this? So if I, you know, if I had, like at the time I was a personal trainer and um, it wasn't, I wasn't bringing enough money in. So I was like, I guess I got to get another job. So rather than complain about it, I just looked for another job. So I ended up with three jobs. And said, rather than complain about it, just be grateful about it. Show your children how to be self-reliant. Build resilience in them. Because um, in the past, I would have had the three jobs and I would have complained about having the three jobs. So mm -hmm. I was like, mm -mm, that's disempowering. That's not empowering. Um, so I learned to be grateful for I w where I was. So rather than see the negative in things, I was like, no, see the positive in things. Mm -hmm. And I was talking about that out loud to the kids. Um, you know, I would say... Mommy's going to go take a bath now and, you know, don't disturb me. You know, so I was like carve, letting them see like, oh, you're supposed to carve out time for yourself. Um, I would journal in front of them. Mommy, what are you doing? I'm journaling. Why? I don't feel good. You know, I had an argument with daddy today and I just want to write about it and mm -hmm. help me process it because I don't want to have, I don't want to hold on to this anger anymore, you know, and when I journal about it, I get my feelings out on paper and I'm let it. I'm, uh, I can let it go. Mom, where are you going? Oh, I'm gonna go meditate for a little while. What's meditation? Well, it helps me calm my mind mm -hmm. down because sometimes my thoughts race, and so just like talking about how to like really be self-reliant and self-responsible and acting it, knowing I was acting it. And if I had a problem with someone, um, and I was struggling, I would talk it out. Like, well, you know, I was really upset upset that so and so said that, but. I can't control this, but I can control that. And I have no right to control that in that person, you know, but I don't have to go to that party if I don't want to. And I don't feel comfortable because of X, Y, and Z. So, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll plan another night for myself and, 
maybe I'll call another friend. So I was really just acting out health and responsibility on Faking purpose. it till you make it in a way. But Not trying really, to program but, them. Yeah, I see. Like, let it go, you yeah. know? And if I heard them, I, I heard my son say, well, I know why you said that to my daughter. And I said, stop. How do you know why she said that? Mm. And I just, I was trying to create pause. Like, you're, you're going with a narrative that you don't know is correct. Right. And your body believes you. So it's a cognitive bias that you've created. You haven't even asked your sister why she said that. Right. You're just assuming you know. Right. Give her five minutes to explain herself because there might be a side of this that you don't know anything about. So teaching them to pause. Wait, I don't really know why that person did that. I really don't know what that person's thinking. Let me ask them. Or, you know, so-and-so said this, you know, and I think that they should have done this. Well, do you have a right to control so-and-so? Mm-hmm. No, you really don't have a right to, con- do you know why they said that? No. And so it really just teaching detachment, like what are you bringing into your reality and why, but doing it on purpose. Right. When did you decide to start the YouTube channel? And what was that like? What was it like posting the first few videos and Terrifying. stuff like that? Terrifying. I think I'm 2009. Again, what happened was I wrote the road back to me and I never expected anything. I thought, I'm just going to write this book and let it go. And it went to like 23 on Amazon overnight. So it was an Amazon bestseller overnight. So you did do it for the money. (laughs) Yeah, right. How how does that happen? (laughs) It's Um, just word to mouth? So what happened, yeah. So what ended up happening was um, I was writing articles and free articles online. and Blogs and stuff? uh, I had started a blog. And, um, I had like manifestation. I didn't even know I was doing it. I was like author of the road back to me. I knew that I was going to write that book one day. So when I was writing internet articles and, um, I was doing, um, articles in the local newspaper and stuff, cause I was a personal trainer. So they were interested in the fitness that I was doing and interested in how people's lives were transforming from head to toe. Even their relationships were beginning to change. Um, so I didn't even realize I was life coaching at the time. But mm. I was, well, why do you self-sabotage? Why do you eat at nine o'clock at night when you've been working out all week <laughs> and you've been working so hard? What's, do you really think that you're going to be able to maintain your diet or you don't? What's the conflicting beliefs? So I was doing that then. I didn't even know it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started writing um, articles for the local newspapers, signing my name, the author of The Road Back to Me. So by the time the book published, there were enough people that knew and it went um, to number 23 overnight. And then people started calling me like, can you talk to me about this adult child of alcoholic stuff? And can you talk to me about this codependency and relationships? I was like, sure. You know, um, then I started promoting my book. And um, the man that was promoting my book says, I think you should get certified as a life coach just for credibility. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. And then it was just, I, this isn't braggadocious. I could not life coach the amount of people that wanted me to coach them Mm. because it was clicking this. I am not enough stuff. It's affecting every area of my life. Mm. I'm seeking validation. You know, I feel invalidated. Then I get angry. Like what's happening. I mean, these dynamics play out all over. There's, there's no relationship that doesn't have some of these dynamics in them anyway. I I don't think. Yeah. And it's really, I think the healthier you are and the more self-loving you are, 
then the less you need someone to validate you. Right. So the less wounded you are when they don't read your mind. But how many people are walking around healthy and self-validating? I mean, this is a world full of like people that are not doing that. You know. Well, that's why I created the videos. <laughs> right? right. So then you started the YouTube. So then I was like, you know what? This is really hitting home. And let me just share this message on YouTube. Maybe it'll hit someone, resonate with someone. You know. Um, and I was terrified. Um, and I just kept doing them and doing them and on your doing phone, them. or how'd you record no, them? Uh, on a, on the um, I'm on the Mac. Oh, just on right? the this, yeah, 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 right through iMovie. Right. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I had no clue. I didn't know how to edit, add music, not nothing, you know. But just like flip, you know, yeah. YouTube channel and just wherever it goes, it goes. Huh. Yeah, and then again, it was just when you get feedback, you know. And it's I was just talking to my husband about that today. It's like it's so bizarre to me. You know, I was just in, in uh, Utah um, last week filming a docu-series. Mm -hmm. and, I, and he's like, how do you feel? I was like, it's just so bizarre because being called crazy your whole life and then being married for 11 and 12 years and you're crazy and you're a flake mm -hmm. and no one thinks like you. And people are buying my book and listening to me on YouTube. I'm sitting here with you. Yeah. You, you made me a beautiful painting. I'm a dear one. I am enough. Like, oh, man. Well, you change what? lives. You change lives. But now you must know that. You must get so many people that, I mean, you've given us so much to the world, you know. So, I, you know, it's like. Uh, it's still bizarre. Uh, yeah, it's still bizarre. It's but still bizarre. but when, so when your channel grew the way it mm -hmm. did, and was there, a, did you have some kind of like, um feeling of pride again like towards all your family and all that of like, well, like it's so funny yeah, like, how you like me now. how you like me now was it's, there like was there like a how you like me now Did so you, like, funny. come on you must have no, some, you how know, you like me now come on. you know what it's just it's classic dysfunctional family right like, my parents never validated any right. of my success because it was like if we validate it then we're validating that we were wrong about her. Right. Right? So let's just pretend that we don't see it. Right. They've never read any of my books. To this day, my sister, my brother, my my mother, father, my they both died never reading my stuff. Oh, I'm sorry. Secretly no, it's okay. they must have. No. No? Absolutely not. No. Maybe I, not. No. No. I don't think that, I don't think my dad, I think my dad deliberately denied it because he didn't want to see it. Right. Like he, he didn't want to see what... He couldn't handle, I mean, we bumped heads all the time, you know, like, dad, mm. you're wrong. I'm not wrong. You're wrong. I'm like, okay, all right, yeah, no problem. But, you know, yeah. him, he was a care, my mother's caretaker. You know, she had MS, she had diabetes, right? right? She's in renal failure. She's um, delusional. I'm like, dad, she's in, you know, she's suffering. Don't tell me how to take care of my wife. My mom was in renal fa failure. He didn't even know. Yeah. You're shoving pills down her throat and she's vomiting. I'm like, dad, you know. Or she had a stroke and he's not even aware that this was a stroke, you know. Like, you can't take care of mommy. Don't right. tell me I take really good care of your mother. I'm like, you are delusional. Right. He couldn't even admit that he was not equipped to take care of someone in this state. And God forbid if I brought that to his attention. Mm -hmm. You know, there was conflict. So um, I was the... I was the, what do you say, the burr under his saddle? Mm -hmm. You know, like, oh, she's going to be the one to tell me. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. keep her out here. So I think for his own self-preservation, no, he didn't want to read my stuff. In since they've passed, do you feel that from beyond they give you messages that yeah. they love you and understand now and are sorry? 
Yeah, I do. I have better conversations with my mother now than I ever did. Right. And she had she ended up having a couple of strokes and dementia. Right. And it was the weirdest thing. It was like all of her passive aggressiveness was gone. All of her wounds, her pain body was gone. Wow. And I remember looking, we went to go see her and she looked at me, she said, I love you. See? And I was like, wow. God. What? It was mean, like through dementia you see me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because that the the, the pain sickness was gone. was gone and it's yep. like that at the core everyone is I think good and loving and Absolutely. wants to do their best. Yeah. I think that's every soul I think will eventually get to the point where they realize that I was enough and I never had to make anyone feel less than enough just to make me feel enough. Right. I think every soul is on that path and if if we can get out of the way of that right. and stop resenting people that aren't where we are then yeah. the quicker will will evolve goes back to the prayer we started off this podcast with yeah thank ho'opono, you ho'opono. yeah i love you i'm sorry please forgive me thank you can you that's beautiful about mm-hmm. your mom by the mm-hmm. way that, yeah yeah um you were talking about metacognition in a video and mm-hmm. i love that yeah. subject of like being the observer of your thoughts and Amen. um changes everything yeah and i sometimes bring that up on this podcast like i'm i'm afraid who's asking who who's afraid Mm -hmm. you know or who's afraid who's asking who who's afraid you just keep like (laughs) exactly up leveling Mm -hmm. your go higher on the perch of consciousness and become the observer of your thoughts some people can really get their head around that and Mm -hmm. other people are like hmm that sounds weird what are you (laughs) talking about yeah but at least if people's going if if someone's going like oh that's weird that's good because again you're hitting the pause button right so can you notice what you notice right can you be the awareness can you be the can you be aware of the space between your thoughts because you're not your thoughts yeah or do you attach to your thoughts right is there space to observe your thoughts yeah because that's what you need because if you're not observing your thoughts you think you you are your thoughts right and you don't realize that your thought is like thoughts are like watching television narcs think they're the thoughts go ahead though sorry yes uh, thoughts are like watching television yeah so if you turn on the television you just see a television program those mm-hmm. are like thoughts in the mental field yeah right and you don't realize that you can change the channel yeah, or turn the TV off. Or turn it off. And be silent. <laughs> you're right. the TV. You're, in this well, you, you're the. I, I was saying it, but like, uh, there's some. I got it from somewhere. With, there's the film is mm-hmm. the thoughts, and the screen is yes. what you are. You're the infinite, like you know, now the screen that can, you're is, everything. You're isn't. You're not affected by the film that's on the screen. You don't have to be. You don't have to be. No. And no. those are your thoughts. So the way I the way I describe it sometimes is if you imagine imagine a stage, right? So you're the stage. Mm-hmm. You're the actor on the stage. You're the writer of the play, right? You're mm-hmm. the observer of the play. Right? So you're everything. Yeah. So you're an actor in your own play. And when you start to awaken, you're like, I can change the ending. Yeah. Right, but when you're asleep, it's sort of like The Sims. You ever play The Sims game? Like, nah. it's a, so he it's, probably has. No, that's one game I never. Yeah. I never. <laughs> yeah, so it's explore. like virtual reality. So, you, you know, it's like you're programmed to behave and think a certain way, but you don't realize it, and then you come to planet Earth, and you're just ding, 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 ding. You're, 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 you are experiencing the world through your programming. Mm-hmm. So it's like almost like um, a character in a video game. Like they're programmed right to behave a certain way in a video game but they don't know that they're programmed and they don't know that you 
or the programmer can turn this character into anything that they want, right? Right. So when you're living below the veil of consciousness, you're a character in a game and you're acting out the programming versus being the player Cor exactly and picking the right correct the skin color. yeah that's a good correct. that's a great well, yeah that's the meta that i understood yeah that's metacognition then yes. I, like you're that the one I just understood yeah. she put it in video games exactly perspective <laughs> that's why she's what yeah. that's why I, I lisa's lisa then you're right Okay. So you have the opportunity to change the character, to change the direction, to change where they're actually, where they live, what they do, what they think. You have the, you have the ability. And people feel hopeless because they don't believe that they have that ability. Or mm -hmm. they, they don't believe that they have the, they, they don't know it's possible. And then on top of it, okay, now I know it's possible. How do I do it? That's mm -hmm. where I come in. I create tools. And thoughts are addictive. Like it's addictive to just identify as your thought forms and go through that whole thing. And it's spooky to change mm -hmm. your perspective. And it, it was a moment where I was like, oh, I'm not my thoughts. Mm -hmm. Then what the F am I? Right. You know, oh, Okay, so if I can't trust this thought and it's the only thing that's in the ship, what do I do next? Mm. So I can't trust what's coming through this field? No, you cannot. It's nonsense. You know, plus you're so, when you understand that you're also um, subconsciously and subliminally, um, you know, hit with information from the media mm -hmm. constantly, what to think and what to feel, what to be afraid of. You know, advertisements, there's so much, there's so much interference patterns coming into your auric field, you know, um, and your mind that you really have to, you really have to develop respect for your mind and say, no, I'm going to control what I think and what I focus on, mm -hmm. you know, and I realize that as it is below, so shall it be above. So what goes into me genetically, karma, you know, gen generational karma, that's not my fault. That's my blueprint or my genetic blueprint. But the way that I think can affect gene expression. Mm. So I have to really, we really hopefully, and I, and I really appreciate what you're doing because you are offering people through your audience the ability to think about the way they think and change the course of their life. Yeah. So you are not a victim of your genes by any means. Thank you. Yeah. I, well, because I wanted to start a YouTube channel about MPD like when mm -hmm. I was in the main huge vortex of yep. it, you know. <clears throat> And never did from fear or whatever. Yeah. You know, I, I I wrote a blog, but it was like, I don't know. It it just it was yeah, it was too much mm -hmm. or something. The mm -hmm. whole thing, but I never did. But this podcast came as a result of of that, yeah. I think. And so sitting here with you is kind of like this like amazing moment for me in that way. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I hope it's validating. And it, it's you know when you when you learn something about yourself, you're really learning it about everybody. Because your truth is my truth. It's right. your truth. It's my husband's truth. It's everyone's truth. Yeah. You know, um, we're all 99.999% the same. Yeah. So, you know, and your brain works the same way that my brain works. So as an infant, you needed exactly what I needed. So yeah. if you didn't get what you needed and I didn't get what I needed and we had similar backgrounds, then the way we think is going to be similar. Mm -hmm. Then the way we behave is going to be similar. Well, then the healing process is going to be similar too. Yeah, and, and on that topic, for me, prayer is a huge, mm -hmm. huge part of what I leaned on, and especially for people going into a situation where they might be no contact from literally everybody in yep. their lives, which is what can happen. Mm -hmm. It's the loneliest place in the world, and I know God is a weird subject for people mm -hmm. or whatever, but... I needed prayer then like never before, and I needed that connection like never before. Mm -hmm. um, I'm wondering how, 
do you feel like prayer is an important aspect of recovery and for you personally? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, what saved me, I think, was that there was one day I was driving down the road and I looked at this huge mammoth, mammoth of a tree and it just hit me, like whatever and whoever, because I went through this phase where there is, how could there be a God, you know? I had known a little boy that died of cancer and I was like, nope, can't be a God. I was just, I rejected it. Just doesn't make sense. Like, why would God allow these things to happen? Mm -hmm. So then I realized that my perspective was very, um, uh, I was coming through ego. I was coming through pain. I wasn't looking at the huge, huge picture, you know? Um, And I was just driving down the highway and I saw this huge tree and I was like, you know what? Whatever created that tree created me. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, whatever created the sky created me. And I suddenly started to feel a connection to everything. And I was like, wow, it's just... And then if you think about energy, energy can either be created or destroyed. It just changes form. Mm -hmm. So my human idea of life is physical. And if when I step out of thinking life is more than just physical, then there is no such thing as death. There's a transition, Mm -hmm. right? So then I let go of the fear of death. And I was like, mm, like an ice cube. I can be an ice cube or I could be water or I could be gas. Mm-hmm. So it's still H2O, but my form has changed. So I will always be, you will always be. Mm-hmm. But in a physical world, you need flesh to you know, walk around on planet Earth with very much like you need a spacesuit to walk around on Mars right. um, or the moon. So I began to realize like, you know, it's not just this egoic painful experience you know a life is so much more than what i think it is and and there has to be a reason for um why things happen and when yeah, there's things so happen. much we don't see i mean and I'm okay like, with that we now. don't know and it, it mm-hmm. does seem unfair mm-hmm. dramatically unfair in many cases and awful in many cases but there's so much we don't know i think what happened with what happened to me was when when i let go when I literally let go and I was just like, okay, you know, um, what, what is, what is real, what am I really trying to do here as a soul that's evolving, you know? And to me it was just detach. Like you are a part of everything, Mm -hmm. you know, and everything is an, is an extension of you, but try not to attach to things because everything is transitory. Nothing is permanent. And when I think things should be permanent, I'm going to suffer, whether it's a relationship or a life or a house or a job. When I think that thing should not change, I suffer because everything is meant to change and I'm meant to adapt with the change. And if I, when I don't adapt to what's happening and I'm in resistance to it, I'm going to suffer. Mm. And that's why it's so important to accept how you feel because if, if mom or dad or your sister or your brother crosses a boundary, you have to accept how you feel and be non-resistant to how you feel so you can exert a boundary so you can stay safe and continue to evolve and grow in spite of what's happening outside of you. Mm-hmm. It's pretty heavy stuff. Yeah, that is heavy stuff. But you've got, you need metacognition to do it. Right. So I have to be able to notice how I feel and notice what I notice when I'm in the experience of someone and not deny it. So I have to notice from a detached space, how do I feel around this person? And what can I control versus what can't I control? And what's right for me? And what decision can I make out of love, not of anger and resentment and vindictiveness and wanting to take someone down? Because I think that has to be a a, a premise, like goodwill towards everyone. Mm -hmm. So just because I don't want you in my life doesn't mean I want you to be destroyed. Right. I just need to protect myself from your lack of self-awareness right doesn't mean i don't love you it just means that because i know that you you lack self-awareness and you lack self-love 
you're not going to be able to understand me or love me. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I have to protect myself from you and your inability to see yourself. What a, I mean, what a great way to frame that tip for anybody listening that needs to tell a dysfunctional person yeah. lovingly in their life to fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that would be the way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I say, yeah. Not, <laughs> not, excuse yeah. my French. I was just being funny. But yeah. But that's, yeah. I say, Namaste and I'm going to walk away. Namaste, walk away. Namaste, walk away. Oh, that, that's a new song, the Namaste, walk away. I might write that. Song. that. <laughs> I'll help you. I'm doing the Namaste, walk away. Yeah. <laughs> there really is. And if that's you, a good one. And that's all loving yourself. Yeah. You know, so yeah. when I walked away from my parents, it wasn't because I didn't love them, it was right. because I knew they were so dysfunctional. Right. And I knew that they were working off of each other. There was a very enmeshed relationship. My father supported my mother's anger towards me and, yeah. and my mother supported his ignorance and his narcissism and just I gotta walk out. Namaste. I gotta walk. Do you boo? Yeah. But I literally have to cut myself out so I can find the right path. You evolve into that though, because at first that level of betrayal you feel when yes. you when you wake up to that thing is intense. It's like, whoa, you mean you were messing with me on purpose? Yeah, and you knew it. <laughs> and you knew it? Like when you first wake yeah. up to that, like it's like holy moly yeah. you know? that moment gives you the uh, the it's interesting because I, I look at the word mother and i see other you know i'm like mother other and partner parent you know i see partner parents it's just the the symbolism in the language is yeah. just it's intense it, it really is intense you yeah. know yeah and father like, what's father um i haven't thought about father but f- i don't know i haven't thought about father but parents and partner definitely and and pa- yeah and pattern all the, the letters that like, oh my gosh, you know, like my mother was the other, yeah. you know, um, and my partner represented my parents, you know, it's just very bizarre, you know, but this, yeah. why have you forsaken me experience? Like, you know, the symbolism of Christ on the cross where even, even, you know, this well-known spiritual figure has this moment of why, how, father, yeah how have you forsaken me yeah. you know even even the most well one of the well, most well-known teachers of all time has that experience yeah. of well, you've abandoned me you know what's up and then then he comes off the cross or then he's liberated like oh, okay i am enough you know i'm enough you know i'm enough you know even though you've abandoned me i am enough and mm-hmm. i think we have to fall back on that i think i think recovery work would be so much easier if people knew at your core, minus everything that you've ever said and mm-hmm. everything you've ever done, every really screwed up thing you've ever said, you're enough. Mm-hmm. And the things that your behavior is in response to the things that you've experienced as a child mm-hmm. and the way that you think is really a product of the way that you've, you have interpreted your experiences as a child. So if you don't think you're good enough, it's, that's a valid feeling, but it's not true. Right. You are enough. But the feeling is very, very valid. Yeah. But it's not true. Have you thought about this whole world being like a, a big soul growing thing? Like that that these this is the channels that we grow our souls? Because mm-hmm. the amount of this this kind of situation going on is just overwhelming. It's more common than not, I think. And mm-hmm. like when you first wake up to it too, it's like the thing of when you stare at the abyss, the abyss this stares back at you or mm-hmm. what you like sort of perceive you bring into your life more mm-hmm. and more so when i first woke up to mpd i was seeing it everywhere yes. and in every relationship yep. and stuff and that's calmed down mm-hmm. 
but how how do you how do you what do you think about that i think it's i think it's normal you know, it's sort of like when you buy a green Toyota, you suddenly see green Toyotas <laughs> everywhere. Or when you have a kid and you start seeing strollers everywhere. Yeah, right. yeah, it's the same thing. It's like, were they there yesterday? Yeah. yeah, it's just that you're paying attention to it more. So your attention to this experience has made you more attuned to the, ex the experiences where it was there. MPD was always there. Right. You just didn't recognize it. Yeah, you know, um, or you didn't know what it was. Yeah, it's like can, it didn't have a name. Can you see a dinosaur in 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 the woods if you've never seen a dinosaur, or would you just see green trees? Right. But the mini oh dinosaur, I, I understand. My brain understands that figure. I I can recognize that figure. That's what that is, you know. So I think it comes from the experience. Then what happens is the shock of this is a thing. Like people are hurting one another on purpose they're literally jacking with their head to make them question their reality for the purpose of controlling them and keeping them underfoot like that's messed up you know it is messed up it's so messed up you know and then you start to see how people do it overtly and covertly and mm -hmm. and then you know you have this how dare you experience now um, the anger and the rage frankly the rage yeah, like it's normal yeah the rage you have to get past is unbelievable i think you have to embrace it because i to me that's your skin i became a boxer i got into I boxing it. and i i got way into it yeah <laughs> like late in the day you know yeah. why do you think that was important to you i think it was because i realized i had to just like show myself that i could fight back and that i could um empower myself mm -hmm. and just you know it was when i was completely no contact and mm -hmm. like you, you know there was just a couple people uh that brought me into this boxing community beautiful people ramon and liz and uh and i just i embraced it and then i was watching that remember that tanya harding movie that came out yes um and that's a very much about uh, yeah, uh, very much about MPD abuse mm -hmm. and the yep. effects of it. And she was definitely a victim of mm -hmm. that. And mm -hmm. it shows you how that can devastate a life yep. that could have otherwise been glorious. And her life is glorious mm -hmm. also still. Right. Like, she's an amazing human. Mm -hmm. But then, um, you know, at the end, I didn't. I for, had forgotten she had become a boxer. And mm -hmm. it was like, when I saw oh, wow. that, I was like, oh. Like, it, like there's like... Yeah, just like these these correlations that happen mm -hmm. in recovering from this type of these type of events is is pretty phenomenal and maybe boxing gave you an opportunity to come home to yourself yeah. and to control your feelings and to to give your give your your emotions an avenue mm -hmm. and you know when you make contact on that bag that mm -hmm. makes sense and it's a it's a very empowering feeling to feel like yeah. you're in control of your emotions and they make sense yeah. um you know in getting that out there you you, you found an, an, an avenue to release the feelings that you were feeling and you went from feeling powerless and naked you know and two years old on the brooklyn bridge traffic coming at you both ways to feeling like oh no no i've got this what can i control yeah you know and it helps you come back to yourself absolutely yeah yeah there's yeah. that feeling of, of abandonment you know like and it's not just a lot of people a lot of people feel abandoned you know in life but to add the layer of betrayal and persecution that's intense Ooh. And by and, the people and, supposed to love you. And the fact that also 
sometimes this takes people very far down to the point and sometimes it makes them kill themselves and yes. everything like that so when you see how dark it actually can be mm-hmm. that's the other thing that really freaks you out and makes you you know yeah i've had clients i've had clients whose husbands have said you know you you're really better off just killing yourself mm-hmm. you know no one's going to believe you anyway like look at you you're just uh you know look at what a mess you are like you can't even trust the way that you think meanwhile he's taunting her and cheating on her and broke her arm mm-hmm. you know and physically abuses her and then just throws in maybe you should just kill yourself why so mm-hmm. he can play the martyr when she does kill herself right you know this is how diabolical it can become you know when you are under the under the the trauma bond of someone who has love bombed you, made you feel really good about yourself mm-hmm. and then starts to devalue you and then makes you think it's your fault that they're pulling away and then you start to chase after them and they start an argument and it's your fault that they started the argument. It's, it's your fault that there's an argument, mm-hmm. your fault that they're abandoning you. You know, and you just keep chasing after them and little by little they're wearing you down. It's your fault. They give you a little mm-hmm. bit of validation and they pull it away again. It's like, you know, and then they cheat on you and it's your fault. <laughs> Yeah. Like, and and that person needs to go from MPD videos to learn about what's happening, but then they have to graduate to codependency videos to to learn yes. that they are actually have to work on themselves yeah. and empower themselves to get out of being a victim. Yeah, yeah. Well, first thing you have to know, that's why I always say you can't fix a hole in the wall you don't see. Right. So that's why, you know, learning about narcissistic personality disorder and narcissism and traits of narcissism, it helps you put a label on it. Now right. suddenly it's like my experience makes sense. I'm not, it's actually predictable. Oh yeah. When well, I coach people, they're they, like, it's all you know? the same. It's like, it's incredible how it all works exactly the same. Right. That's the other textbook. Yeah. Uh, not, I, I might be ignorant to the whole. You're subject. not that no, no, ignorant. No, no, no. You I'm, have about ex- what I'm about to say oh. <laughs> <laughs> is I've, I've never heard of NPD or, or gone the characterization mm-hmm. of it. Until he started talking about it and like opened my eyes. Okay, this is what's happening. This is what it is. And obviously it all made perfect sense to me. Uh, And I know someone who, you know, had abusive relationship with their parents. And and from my side view, I kind of understood what was going on, who was being abusive. I was affecting them. But there was not like a label for it. Mm -hmm. I, Mm -hmm. I got it. But... If this thing is so common, mm-hmm. um, how is it not more mainstream? That's a good question. That like you know people people go is. to therapy. Maybe it, that's why I said I'm ignorant. Cause it, may, yeah. Maybe it is full on mainstream. Well, but it like, is, but not. I haven't. I didn't. I never heard about it. Or, mm-hmm. or and you know when pe- when someone and again not to belittle anyone when someone says life coach to me, I was like oh so it's one of those things. But when you see how many people really need that kind of help, mm-hmm. how is it not like? in the health system or maybe it is Mm -hmm. how is it not because we live in a system how is it not that much more uh talked about uh and talk uh, like late night whatever how is it not in the in the public consciousness taught at schools on that level and then in connection with that so there's you're helping people who suffer from it are there programs that try to rehabilitate, if that's even possible, people who do it. Mm-hmm. Does that exist? Oh, oh, like for narcissism? Yes, or, or it's or is it not? Because the people are treating the 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 problem like the damage, but mm-hmm. they're not 
no one's treating the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, did I word that? Yeah, right? I get yeah. it. I think it's multifaceted. I think first of all, like the, the if you've been married to someone with narcissism, you're in therapy. The narcissist isn't in therapy. Right. The narcissist doesn't right. think there's anything wrong. The problem. And then you walk into therapy like I did. I went to four or five therapists who wanted to give me medication. You know, I couldn't identify the problem because I was told I was the problem, right? So, and then the few times, well, the once, once or twice where I said, you know, my husband says this, well, we can't talk about your husband because he's not here. So I, or, and only one therapist ever asked me about my childhood. Is there any alcoholism in your family? And my response was, no, my parents don't drink. And he said, listen to me. That's not what I asked you. I said, if there's an, is there any alcoholism in your family? I went, actually, again, cause to pause, you know, and I was like, well, yeah, both sets of my grandparents are alcoholics and my mother's twin brother and, his, uh, and her other brother. So yeah, I would say I come from a, a long line of alcoholics. He was the only one. So if we don't have trauma-informed therapists, if we don't right. have trauma-informed pediatricians, if we are keep labeling children as ADHD or ADD. Right, and giving them meth. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. (laughs) If we keep medicating children and thinking they're obstinate, defiant disorder, and we're not understanding what was the first year of that baby's life like? Did that baby feel safe, or was that did that baby feel um, like their home was unsafe? You know, what was going on that baby's life? Because in that first few months of life, first year of life, the brain is being organized for socialization. Mm-hmm. So was this baby isolated or were they exposed to a bunch of different people? You know, back in the day, you lived in a family with grandma and grandpa, two grandmas, two grandpas, aunts and uncles, and children got exposed to lots of different people. So their brains were wired for connection, right? And so you isolate a child and they're screaming, there's yelling and, and, you know, it's cold and the child's not getting fed on time. It's being ignored. This child's brain is wired for stress. There's a stress response. And it has to organize itself for survival, not thriving. Survival. And your body can't survive and thrive at the same time. No. It has to make a decision. Flight or flight turns off creativity You're right. straight away. So, and if I can't, if my, this way, in my 12-week class, you know, in um, it's week three, we start asking people about what kind of dreams did you have as a child? And people like, I don't remember. Not your fault because you were in survival. Mm-hmm. Your brain could not tap into that creative center because you were too worried about what mommy was going to do or daddy was going to do mm-hmm. or, you know, maybe it was money. Maybe there wasn't enough money in your family and, you know, or maybe there was alcoholism or domestic violence, you know, so you're wired for protection, mm-hmm. not creativity. And so now as an adult, you keep recreating whatever's been downloaded into you and you don't even realize that you have the ability to change the video game. You have the ability to change the scenery mm-hmm. by imagining something different. And society doesn't want you to know that information because we live in a society structured on this play of narcissism. There's gaslighting constantly yep. on Fear. on global levels. Yes, you know, there's I'm aware there, of now you know, there's <laughs> smear campaigns on global. Mm-hmm. So this plays out like on the in the macro in the in the whatever is the yeah. opposite of macro, uh, micro, micro and macro, micro and macro. You I think know? A, a big problem is narcissists don't go into therapy unless they're forced into therapy. Let's say they have a drinking problem and mm-hmm. they keep losing their job and they've got to go into anger management. And then when they go into therapy, they think they're smarter than the therapist. So they're just waiting for an opportunity to prove the therapist wrong. So number one, narcissists aren't treating, getting treated. Number two, if you come from a family of narcissism, you grow up with anxiety. And so you're being treated for anxiety. Or maybe you drink too much, so now you have alcoholism. Or maybe you get into drugs, or maybe you're in a bad relationship. So now your focus becomes what's happening inside my relationship. So what's really going on 
is not being addressed because now life has got complicated and your behaviors that are rooted in your lack of identity are manifesting in adult situations and you're focusing on the adult situations. You're not pausing to ask, why am I this way? You know, so if you're being treated for anxiety, you think, oh, I have an anxiety disorder. You know, I had panic disorder. You know, my doctor's like, oh, you've got some weird anxiety mm -hmm. disorder. It was like, okay. You know, like, but when I finally started to do my own work because I couldn't handle taking medication because I was taking care of the kids. So I was like, don't like the way I feel. And I was like, no, I have to, I have to figure this out. And thank God, you know, I tried going to AA, tried to, my uncle took me to AA meetings. He's like, maybe that'll help you. I was like, okay. You know, I went to Al-Anon, CODA meetings, you know, anything. Did you um, get anything out of those? I, I, what I got, what I got was the sense that I wasn't alone, mm -hmm. that there was a lot of pain in the world, you know, and I just thought I was so alone, you know, and I realized there's so many people that's struggling. That's the spirituality of that place is when everyone talks about what they're going through. That's the best thing about it is yeah. you're like, oh, this is a this is the plane where everyone's dealing with this kind of stuff. And we're real. Like these people are willing to stand up and say, I screwed up. Mm -hmm. They're willing to stand up and say, right. I need help. You know, like there's a vulnerability here. Um, and so, yeah, I got a lot out of it. And um, now, I mean, like, you know, medications come a long way. So um, I think that, now like Lexapro probably would have been really helpful for me back then because I was so reactive mm. and I think it would have allowed me um, to be calm enough to observe my thoughts because the way I learned to do this is just I white knuckled it the whole way. You know, I was literally got no marble notebooks and just was writing down my thoughts like what did I catch today? What did I catch today? What did I hear today? What negative thought did I hear today? And then I would reprogram, reprogram that negative and say, no, this is inappropriate. You know, that's your mother's voice. Mm. You know, that's a voice of lack. That's not of God. That's not of divinity. Mm. That's not of your true nature. Come up with something that's more positive. And I would like, re it was so fake in the beginning. Like you are enough, you are enough, you are enough, you are enough. Right. And then I finally was like, yeah, you know, I am enough. You know, I really, at my core, I am enough. And then studying the law of attraction, I was like, wow, slice me up to, to the point where you can't slice me up anymore. And I'm nothing but light. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So I was like, wow, I'm light at my core. I really, I, at my core, I really am light, mm -hmm. you know? So that's pretty fabulous. A hundred watt light bulb. That's right. At least you're about a million watt oh, light well, bulb. Thanks, but. but, um, yeah, like uh, law of the. What do you think gave you the drive though to do all that hard work? Because so many people don't have that kind of fire in them or that kind of self-preservation instinct. Where where do you think that comes from? I think it came from. That's why I I'm able to say thank you, mom, and thank you, dad, because when they walked away, they started they they. Well, my sister's always been the one that they've um, taken care of and coddled. Mm -hmm. Um, and I see now, like at the time it was like, they're choosing her, they're not choosing me, you know? And, um, but now I see the benefit in that because there was no rescue boat for me to jump into. And I had so much love and compassion for my children. I had so much responsibility and I just understood it in a very logical, logical sense. Like we're all victims of our environment mm -hmm. as are my children. Um, I studied the work of Bruce Lipton, you know, I love Bruce Lipton epigenetics, yeah, neuroplast. I love Joe Dispenza oh, too. Oh yeah, absolutely. You I are all supernatural. 
We are. Abraham Hicks. Amen. I studied all of them. Yeah. And I was like, how can I apply all of these lessons to codependency and narcissistic abuse and subconscious programming and reprogramming my mind and becoming the the character in a play that I actually want to be, you know? Um, And that's how, you know, I eventually did it. But it was really my kids. Right. That's amazing. I, it's ultimately, and I was scary, right? Like ultimate responsibility. Like you are their parent. Yeah. You are their parent. At least, you know, if they end up in therapy, you know, at least try, at least really try to show them something different. Right. Because I have to close my, I always tell my kids, listen, at the end of the day, no matter where you end up, remember, I tried. Right. I was. I tried to be as conscious as possible. That's I, all you can do. That's. I really did try. Yeah. You know. Do so. they know that? Yeah, they know that. That's they know great. That. Yeah, they know that. I'm really, you know, um, my son was married to someone who, let's just say, has a very. Um, how do I say this? Um, MPD-ish vibe. Well, you said it. I didn't say it. <laughs> right, that's why I said it. But thank you. But um, was taken for a ride. Right odor you get with that MPD vibe. Well, was taken for a ride, and we warned him, and he was just classic codependent. No, you know, you got um, love bombed. Tremendously love bombed. Future faking. Um, triangulated, separated from us. The whole. I mean, I saw it happening. I was just like, wow, textbook. you know, textbook and. No matter what I said, he was just, you know, like, you know, gonna gonna throw himself into this relationship and save her, and, you know, um, but that happens a lot. Yep, a lot. Yep. So but he's good now, or is he getting so working working his way out? Or? He got a divorce. So, but but the moment, you know. I, you know, you never a prophet in your own town, right? right? So my own family doesn't read my books. They don't take my advice. They don't know you're an icon. They don't know my you're an icon like, yet. My son would say, you're not my life coach. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. He's like, just be my mom. Fair like, enough. Okay. You know, he needs to right. individuate. And that's know? what I had to let him do. Yeah. You know, I write the last book I just wrote, Codependency Manifesto. And in the beginning, I talk about because I was writing that book when he was going through this uh-huh. and I was so triggered. I was like, no, this is again, attachment. And this was part of my spiritual evolution. Cause I was attached to the thinking was if I go through a divorce and I pay attention to codependency and I represent non-codependency, my children should avoid these codependent dynamics. And certainly they won't get married and have to get divorced. Right. And here it is. How's this going to look? Yeah. Well, I wasn't so much worried about that. It was I just I wanted to spare them. Right. And then I'm on the phone with my son, who's this big, strong kid, you know, like you. And he's crying. I'm like, right. Mom, I can't trust my thoughts. Like, I can't, I can't wrap my hand or my head around the lies. And I can't, I can't believe I did this and I ignored that. And everything that he's saying were things that I said about his dad. Mm. So That's here, so my son is stepping into my reality. So it was like, wow, you know, and I just felt myself like I failed. Nah. Yeah. But that's how I felt in the moment. Right. Yeah. And then my husband said, Lisa, he's not you, you know? And I was like, what? And he's like, he's not you. He's got a 401k plan. He doesn't have three little kids. You know, he's got a great job. I was like, yeah, that's right. he's yeah. not me. He'll be fine. And so it really was me detaching and allowing, like, stop, stop attaching to this idea that this kid shouldn't have to go through this for his own evolution. Right. Let it go. 
That's what I mean. It seems like these things are like, it's just, well, it's like what Freud says, the needs of the child can't possibly be met by the parents. Like Mm -hmm. it's, we're wired for dysfunction. It's hardwired into the human experience. So yeah, well, we have an ego and and I think, listen, this is why I think we really have to give give ourselves a break. We're born unconscious into an unconscious world with an ego that's reactive, with a brain that's primitive with an amygdala that's reactive, with a fight or flight system that knocks the timekeeper of the brain offline when it gets activated, right? So I have this subconscious programming. I'm 95% unconscious most of the time, right? How could I not have problems? Right. (laughs) How could I not? Well, when you put it like that. (laughs) How could I, right? How How could the average person who is not being taught about metacognition i have a four-year-old niece and every chance i get i you know at least i'm so afraid like why are you afraid you just get her to talk about it alice is my dog she's kind of big you know and she's like well i'm afraid alice is going to eat me (laughs) i don't say don't say that or that's silly i say why do you think alice is going to eat you well she she comes over to me and she licks her lips when she's next to me and i'm afraid she's going to eat me Mm. and i validate her i could understand why you would think alice would eat you i thought alice was going to eat me too so (laughs) if that's any kind Uh, yeah but the goal is to really just validate just validate just validate you know and like because you neuroses you can you can have an unrealistic fear and your body can respond to this fear as if it's real you know you have a cognitive bias you know and until you develop metacognition and notice what you notice you're stuck yeah you're stuck that's real true I think to answer your question about why isn't MPD knowledge completely mainstream is it is becoming that way mm-hmm. and she's one of the slowly one of the foremost people bringing that knowledge to the forefront but it's also rooted in weird covert psychology yep. also i think there's a play of spiritual war going on of light and dark and that is definitely of the dark and mm-hmm. so i and you know the dark seems to be uh, owning a lot of the narrative in some kind of ways mm-hmm. i think so i think there's i think it's pers- like purposefully suppressed that kind of information on some level but mm-hmm. i also think it's just a hard thing for people to wrap their head around and it is becoming mainstreamized on some level it now is i mean well, it is and it isn't not I to think the degree you at say at the but. end of the at the end of the day what's going to heal it is radical self accountability mm-hmm. and you can't be you can't be someone who wants to play in the light and not be completely self accountable that's, that's scary that's the ho'oponopono right back to that exactly. i love you it's like taking responsibility for everything in yeah. your field of consciousness mm-hmm. that was the thing that i think did heal my relationship with my family i started doing that mantra mm-hmm. I would go on long runs and yep. just have it as the mantra going and I would just be thinking about all the people in my world that I even thought betrayed me yep. or that like and I was taking responsibility for all of the relationships and healing them within myself using that mantra mm-hmm. and that really got me past like this weird anger part of the MPD recovery thing I, I was in. And you the know? doc doesn't want you to do that. And, and I, it, <laughs> it, it broke that glass ceiling, the ho'oponopono. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm always on and on about it. Mm-hmm. But that also confused me because then I was like, wait, I have to take responsibility for everything. Mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, it's all, we're all part of each other's stories, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, you know, when I look at the people that I've dated in my life, the last narcissist that I dated was 
only a few short months, but he was so smart. He had actually groomed me, picked me, uh, investigated me, targeted me, and I felt so uh, so exposed and so like wow, like you you hunted me right, and right. you learned about me and you used all of this information against me. So that was really that was a psychological really got inside my head. And even though it was the shortest relationship I've ever had, it was it really messed me up for a while. And then I took the position of radical self-responsibility and asked myself, not that I'm responsible for being abused, but I asked myself, what could I learn about this? And, you know, I asked, you know, what, what, what did you miss? Or is there anything that you missed? And the truth came, well, you ignored red flags. There were definitely red flags mm -hmm. that, kind, that I kind of like, well, no, you know. And then I, then I said, okay, well, the next time I'm not going to ignore any red flags. I'm going to honor myself completely, mm. you know. Um, and I remember Oprah years and years, a long time ago, she did a show where she asked women on the stage, like, did you know? And one woman had her face slashed. Another woman had been doused in gasoline and lit on fire by a boyfriend. And she asked each woman and every single woman said, I had a feeling. Mm -hmm. But this is why my work always goes back to, well, how do you feel? And can you just stay in that space of how do you feel about this relationship and that person and take responsibility for how you feel and set a boundary out of love? Because then you're not going to resent this person. You're not going to feel disempowered by this relationship. You're just saying, mm, pass the butter, you mm. know, or no, thank you. Or, and then I'm going to try to align myself with someone that I feel more um, in alignment with. Mm -hmm. And then I'll be able to thrive in that relationship, you know, yeah. so it's tough you know it's tough when you're getting love bombed when you're coming out of loneliness and Oof. like i mean even if you're working on yourself loneliness happens it's hard to be alive it's hard to just like be in your own company all the time and yep. then somebody comes along and it's like love bombing and future faking that stuff's powerful yeah, mix so. sex into the mix with that's like that kind of epoxy glue or whatever <laughs> oh, yeah. like you know what i mean like, like all what? those elements and then you see a red flag and it's like you you yeah like hindsight 2020 like oh i should have known but it's like right. you had all these other things going on and then mm -hmm. you know and then the betrayal or or the sort of uh what a trauma bond mm -hmm. where then like some abusive thing happens and that mm -hmm. bonds you even more so for some weird psychological snafu yeah. of the human condition yeah and that's it that's so your psychology that's why it's so important to notice what you know notice and know, mm -hmm. understand how e ego is designed to protect you period right you know so protect you from feeling pain um protect you from being pained further by another human being so mm -hmm. ego is not the enemy ego is just the unconscious part of you that's just misunderstood and misguided mm -hmm. and doesn't have wisdom Right. So the more the more wisdom that you have, the more you understand your psychological self, the more you understand how easy it is to manipulate a human being. Just make them afraid. That's how Hitler won the war. You know, mm -hmm. and the, not, not that he won the war, but that's how Hitler was able to do what he did. Got all that power. He got inside people's heads. He made he disempowered them from the inside, mm -hmm. you know, um, and once he just once a narcissist disempowers you from inside. You know, mm -hmm. the rest is pretty easy. So make you afraid. Mm -hmm. You know, um, what I learned to do with my ex-husband, even with my family, was I needed to become the person they made me afraid to become. The one with the big mouth. Mm -hmm. The difficult one. Yeah. The one that went against the grain. Mm -hmm. I had to become exactly what they taught me to be afraid of becoming in order to become myself. Yeah. So that was me facing the fear of what they were going to think and facing the fear of their abandonment and rejection. Yeah. I had to step out into that cliff, jump and say, I I'm going to do this, you know. Um, but fear is really, 
fear is the work of the dark. Yeah. Well, I can't, I mean, look what we've gone through as a society or, you know, as a, as a world, like with the fear of COVID and, w- yes. and what that's done yeah. to yeah. people and, and, and what, what, you know, regardless of your feeling on what that, mm-hmm. what it all is and means, but it's definitely been interesting to see the way that's affected people psycho- psychologically. Yeah. yeah. And it just, it, you know, it's, again, it's like self-preservation. It goes right to the heart of being a human being, survival. Yeah. You know, survival mechanisms kick in. And when survival kicks in, you're not thinking rationally. Mm-hmm. You know, you just, you're not thinking for yourself. You're, you're afraid to go against. Group think. Yes. Yeah. Group think becomes it's, way more attractive. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's safety in numbers, yeah. you know. So, and there's safety and division of like, oh, if they think differently, they're bad and yes. we're good, and it's this bad it's good ego. thing. Well, the ego, the 3D world is up, down, left, right, black, white, good, bad. Mm-hmm. That's no why nuance. I said earlier, like, are we going to have a moral conversation or we're going to have a spiritual conversation? Because right. it's not the same conversation. Yeah. So, if I'm going to have a vibrational conversation, how am I like my narcissistic ex husband? Well, I'm shame based. Yeah. And I'm shame based and I'm seeking approval and he's seeking control. So isn't it sort of like in Similar. the same soup? Yeah. Same you soup. You know, same soup. And if I'm angry that different he's, veggies in the same soup. Yeah, yeah. 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 So so when I think about it on that's what freed me. It's like, oh, when I see this on a vibrational level, yeah. Like, oh, okay. So I'm angry he is who he is and he's angry that I am who I am and I'm trying to control uh I want him to be nicer to me and more loving to me. You know, because I'm doing all these amazing things for him and he wants me to praise him just because he shows up, you know, and he wants me to praise him even though, you know, he's withholding and passive aggressive. And so, but isn't it all the same? I'm not coming from a place of empowerment and love of self. Right. You know, so, you know, that's why when I pulled away from don't have, don't have these moral conversations because that's 3D. That's going to keep you stuck. You know, have a, have a vibrational conversation. You know, how are you similar to this person or dissimilar to this person? Mm. And it's just, it's so much easier to walk away from people too in love because you're just like, it's okay. You don't like me. Right. <laughs> it's okay. You're allowed to not like me. Yeah. You really are. You really are allowed to not like me because there's something, there's something that, you know, we all need to, if I don't like something, you know, it might be something in me that I'm, that I haven't yet um, well, that's what they say. Yeah. If I don't, if I, you know. Yeah. yeah. So there's something unresolved in me. You know, I used to look at, you know, when I was a mom and I was taking care of the three kids and in my in my sweatpants all the time and baby puke on my shoulder. And I had every excuse in the book for not, not buying nice clothes or going to the gym. And so when I would see young moms drop the kids off and go to the gym, I was like, oh, my God, you know, how selfish is that, mm-hmm. you know? No, I resented people that were doing things that I couldn't do, right. that I wasn't allowing myself to do because my programming was, you're not, a, you're not enough to do that. You, you can't put yourself first. You can't drop the kids off and like go take care of yourself because my mother infused me to think that that was a selfish thing to do. Yeah. So what goes in comes out. And it wasn't until I noticed what I noticed in myself that I was able to say, that's effed up. Yeah. She's doing what she's supposed to be doing. She's going to be a better mom for taking care of exactly, herself. Exactly. Of course. But I had to notice what I noticed, which was difficult because cause yeah. there's a little bit of like embarrassment of self. Like, how could you even think that? And then I realized it's not even my thought. It's a program. Right. It's a cable television show that's been playing in my head that I thought was my my stuff and it wasn't. So changing that programming, you did the journaling technique. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you can offer people to how to change that programming? Because I, I listened to like... 
you know, video, like listen to mantras or something at night. Sometimes just trying to like get my subconscious to have good thoughts mm-hmm. and stuff like that. What else do you think people should do for that? I think understanding narcissism. I think understanding you have to have a really good base understanding of what narcissism is. Um, what codependency is because unless you know what you're doing wrong you can't fix it Mm -hmm. so I needed to know I started writing out like what is codependent behavior how am I showing up codependent you know I remember baking like 200 cookies for my son's kindergarten class and the teacher asked for like 30 30 or cupcakes the Mm -hmm. teacher asked for 30 it's my fault she wanted 30 no Mm -hmm. I had to bake 200 you know because People i'm not good you. enough yeah <laughs> right and i want to be able to feed the entire kindergarten right and aren't i good enough because i did that yeah you know and feeling invalidated because i wasn't validated because so, it, it wasn't you weren't like extra rewarded for that but or... the thing is that that was a mirror from my not enoughness yeah so the 30 30 cupcakes wasn't enough it came from lack Correct. And yeah. when it showed up, I now I realized, Lisa, that was just a mirror for your own lack. And that's deeper house of mirrors. It's just a lack. It's just a mirror for the lack of love that you felt mm-hmm. in childhood. So everything was just an extension of some paradigm within. Yeah. And so again, until you're able to notice what you notice and you notice your own house of mirrors, you have to be able to take responsibility for what's being reflected back to you. Right. And thank you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. You know, I the whole you. bit. I yeah. love you. Like, yeah. I love the reflection. Yeah, I love you for giving me this opportunity to reflect. Yeah, or it's just now that I see it, I can move beyond it. Mm-hmm. So it was me, like like I said, once I understood what codependency was and in the many ways I was seeking validation from a place of lack, I knew that I had to, you're enough, you're enough, you're enough. Stop having mm-hmm. conversations just to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, stop trying to make people feel good about themselves, right? That's not your job. Stop trying to fix people, take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Stop trying to manage that person's life, manage your own life. Mm -hmm. Stop trying to rescue, stop trying to enable, let people, stop taking care of grown ass adults that can take care of themselves, stop, Mm -hmm. you know? And that was hard because when you're taught that you're not enough, your love is conditional. So you're constantly looking for ways to like be there for someone else for a sense of self. Mm. And so I had to accept that I had no sense of self and try to give it to myself while, while I let go of all of these ego defense mechanisms. Mm. I had no safe ego boundaries. Right. So recognizing how codependency was showing up, making a detailed list, like accountability list, and the next day saying, don't do that. Mm. So go to work. Self-parenting. Go to work and shut up. Do your job and shut up. You know, um, Stop trying to save people. Stop. It was literally just stop, a lot of self-control. Mm-hmm. But again, how do, you, how do you stop doing something that is wrong if you haven't yet identified what's wrong? Right. So I think mantras are awesome. They help keep you calm and cool and help with rumination so that you can catch the behaviors or the comments. Like not going back to my ex-husband, you know, with the text, text. Mm. That was me being non-codependent. You're entitled to, yeah, you're entitled to your opinion of me. Yeah. And I'm not going to try to control it anymore. My son quit, my son, the the principal called me one day and he's like, so your son um, cut school today, you know, and I was just like, surrender. Mm -hmm. You know, he's 14, 15 years old. I was like, okay, Mr. G, like, What's the consequence? And he just keeps going. And he knew he was supposed to be here. And I was like, Mr. G, 
what's the consequence? And mm-hmm. he's like, what? And he's like, you're the only parent. I've called 10 parents. You're the only parent that asked me what's the consequence. Every other parent lied for their son. Oh, he was sick. Oh, I was like, that ain't me. That's not me. What's the consequence? Mm-hmm. He said, 10 days detention. I said, 10 days it is. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, and went home, was like, Matt, so Mr. G said you cut school. He's like, you know, well, they told me. I said, well, that's not what he said. He said that you, all the freshmen knew they were supposed to be there, even though the sophomores were being tested. So listen, dude, law of, law of cause and effect, you did something you weren't supposed to do. The consequence is 10 days of detention. I wasn't going to fix it try to be his friend, have a codependent relationship with my son. Mm. I was trying to teach him about boundaries and self-responsibility. So this is me like really pulling myself back, you know? Um, and like I said, you have to be aware of what codependency is and the sneaky, sneaky ways it shows up. It really does. It is sneaky. Well, listen, I don't want to take all your time. This has been okay. so incredible. Yeah, it has been. Yeah. Um, I have some questions from sure. some fans. Cool. Yeah, but did you want to ask a question while like dial no, these up? Um, well, uh, when you mentioned um, uh, anxiety mm-hmm. and and kids mm-hmm. and, and early on, is it possible like whoever ends up, whoever has these traits of being a narcissist and it starts somewhere? There's mm-hmm. like a, yep. a ground zero or an event or are yep. are can it happen, let's say, in kids where the parents don't display that behavior, like where it just manifests itself? Mm-hmm. Just when you said where, where pain triggers uh, a good reaction, like are there early on signs in kids that parents can should pay attention to? Because uh, in, in every I have a 10 year old, mm-hmm. and, you know, the school has its own psychologist. Mm-hmm. But I don't think the awareness for all these things is there. Yeah. And so what are some early or early signs that parents should say, okay, maybe if the kid is, has anxiety, maybe it's something else. Maybe yeah. it's not. Well, I think it's important if a child is experiencing anxiety, you know, all of us want to fit in, you know, especially children. You know, children want to fit in. It's a, it's a scary world out there. But I think having conversations about anxiety are very, very helpful. So children who feel like there's something wrong with them, you know, and also teaching children that like, um, anxiety is normal, right? So like anytime that you start to do something that's new, your brain doesn't have a program for that new thing. So it it has to literally create neural programs for the next thing. And that creates anxiety because the brain wants to keep you safe. So just explaining that to children sometimes like the way that you're feeling is normal you know, is, I think is very, very helpful, but certainly kids who are experiencing normal, exploring why they might be anxious. Like what is it about them? What's going on in their life? That's new. What is it that they're anticipating? Teaching them about anticipatory anxiety. Like you're using your prefrontal lobe to anticipate something that hasn't happened yet. And your body is like a two-year-old watching your mind and it's responding to the thoughts that are in, in your mind, whether or not it's real or imagined or, you know, um, just a consequence of a new experience. So I think that um, definitely recognizing anxiety early, having conversations around it is really, really important and getting to the root of what's going on with the child rather than just ignoring it, you know, um, because children have anxiety because they have anxiety, right? And, And they're not being taught how to feel their feelings and process it and 
learning learning that a it's normal b what can i do about it meditation and journaling maybe some counseling um, and understanding they're not alone so really normalizing this idea that wow no, you know it's kind of normal to be an anxious 10 year old you know it's i'm gonna ha i'm gonna have this this anxiety once in a while so i think that that's normal but in terms about in terms of what are we looking for in children certainly children who are bullying other children who have a lack of empathy for other children, children who are stealing, you know, um, children who uh, enjoy embarrassing other children. Um, these are signs that, you know, it's not the end of the world. Lots of kids bully other kids. Lots of kids think it's normal, you know. So certainly um, trying to teach empathy, you know, like f teach empathy. If empathy is experienced in the home where mom and dad or dad and dad, mom, mom, whatever the situation is, if, if parents are modeling empathy for one another, then that children learn empathy for, for other children as well. It's very difficult to hurt someone when you know what love is, right? Because when you love yourself, you have forgiveness for the self, you have empathy for the self, and you don't want to hurt other people. So I think teaching empathy um, is very, very important. Modeling empathy, modeling respect. So children go to school and they know this is normal and that's not normal. So they're not jumping into that soup of, you know, um, peer pressure and hurting another child. I think that's important. But, um, you know, we really, and not overindulging a child. You know, that's another thing. Like you can teach entitlement. You know, that's why I wanted my son to, to suffer the consequences of cutting school. Um, that's why if he did something that I thought was wrong, I was like, Hey dude, you know, got to pull that back. Mm. You know, my ex-husband was told that he was right even when he was wrong. And so there's no accountability. So it was like, you know, this, this family done, they were, they were right. Even when they were vicious there, there was just lots of excusing of really poor behavior as long as they all stuck together, which teaches entitlement, which teaches a lack of empathy. As long as we're okay, no one else matters. So I think it's, um, I think every parent should understand a little bit about Eric Erickson's stages of emotional development. I think that's crucial. Eric um, Erickson's stages of emotional development. So important. Like you'll see yourself, you know, I've, I coach, believe it or not, psychiatrists and psychologists. I believe it. They don't know about MPD. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, and the other they thing is. They probably know now, but they yeah. didn't. They were late on the game. And you know what happens is you go into a lot of therapeutic situations and you're told, don't talk about your mother. <laughs> we need to talk about you. You know, right. it's like, okay, and, and well, how do you know that your mother's a narcissist? What makes you think that? So now you're even being questioned. Mm -hmm. So we, you know, and, and with the age of the, you know, with YouTube and Instagram and Pinterest, people are developing the language to say, I've experienced this thing, you know, mm -hmm. um, and so I think this is why I feel the way I feel. Can you help me deal with that? You know, I hear that a lot. Mm. And I have clients and people on Instagram and YouTube tell me all the time, your ther my therapist told me about you. Mm. You know, um, my daughter's, one of her best friends is a psychologist and they have a Facebook group and she's, she tells my daughter, she's like, your we talk about your mom all the time, mm -hmm. you know, um, and the experience of it and understanding it and validating victims of narcissistic abuse. We need to accept that victims of narcissistic abuse seek therapy and narcissists don't. So when someone's walking through the door and they're full of anxiety or, you know, they're so desperate in their relationships and they can't trust their reality, we need to start asking, like, who are you living with? Right. What happened to you as a child? What have you been exposed to? Right. Or maybe you're just really, really highly sensitive. And how can we get you to refocus on the self and worry more about how, what you think and what you feel rather than yeah. what everybody else thinks and what everybody else feels? Yeah.
and seeing people who react in extreme ways rather than immediately judging the reaction mm-hmm. uh, investigate a little bit about what 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 caused that what caused somebody to do something like that if you're a high if you're a very codependent man and you meet a woman that has a lot of drama in her life you might not know that that's trauma right right so where there's drama there's usually trauma uh-huh. um, and you might might want to fix it right and if this person that you're dealing with is highly unaware they can feel innate well you could enable them right and then you become the source of fixing them and you're just in this negative enabling enmeshed relationship that requires someone to be sick and someone to be the fixer and so both people end up feeling very invisible to the other yeah rather than two people showing up empowered like this is who i am and I see you, I see you in spite of your flaws, but I know that you're taking care of it. And here I am, and these are my flaws, but I'm taking care of it. And, uh, you know, let's just, let's just be two individual souls together, yeah. you know, dealing with our own stuff and not making with the other boundaries. person responsible for how we feel or how to fix it. That goes into this first question I got from Alexander the Free on Instagram, which is, if there's a situation where one person in a relationship has legitimate mental health issues, and is having a negative effect on the other person as a result, but they love each other, what's the best way forward? An example would be PTSD, which can give the person close to them secondary PTSD. It's not their fault when they're triggered and act out since part of the brain stops functioning properly. How do you protect yourself while supporting the person at the same time? I've always wondered how it works. I think it's like good you know, question. It's right? a great question. It's a great question. <laughs> so we have to ask ourselves, you know, why am I in this situation? Mm-hmm. Am I fixing this situation? Am I a martyr in this situation? You know, am I a support person in Maybe this situation? Maybe there's a kid in the situation. Could be, but you have to know: are are your needs being met in this situation, or are you in this situation because you're a supportive person? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's a difference. So, um, you know, when you get on the airplane, they tell you to put your oxygen mask on first. Mm -hmm. So in every situation you were dealing with someone who has severe PTSD, that person should be being treated for it. That person should definitely be on the road to recovery because it's only going to get worse. You know, when you're triggered, you it's sort of like how I explain it to clients is like imagine that you have a gangrenous toe. Right. And you're walking, you're in the mall and someone steps on your toe. You push that person away. That person didn't cause that pain, but you react in the moment because pain makes you, uh, brings you right back, right down to right here, right now. And it's survival. So you push against who's in front of you and you're not recognizing the pain is inside of you. So there should be, if someone who has PTSD should be for the sake of the relationship working on it, you know, um, I think that's very important. If I was with someone who had PTSD, I'd want to know that they were they were working on it. If they weren't, and the relationship uh, was um, it was fulfilling for both of us, other than that, I would work on having boundaries and understand that that's that's something that I'm not going to be able to fix in that person, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't be I wouldn't be under the impression that I could fix it. I could be supportive and not judge it, but know that I, it's not my job to fix it. You can't fix it. Mm. You didn't create the, this, and it, PTSD is usually CPTSD, which is complex PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you were in a situation that you could not escape as a child, mm. and you developed all of this, you know, the anxiety responses and reactivity. So as long as you're taking care of yourself and you're not going down with the ship, 
you should not be developing PTSD as a result of someone else's PTSD. You know, that's like um, drinking because your 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 spouse drinks. Mm. You don't want to do that. Yeah. You don't want to do that. So boundaries are important. It's a great way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good answer. So can I ask you a couple more? Mm-hmm. All right. Um, this one comes from Lee Carrick Moore on Instagram. I love Lisa Romano. Can you please ask her, how do you know it's not you when the narc does such a number on you? You question your own sanity and recollection of events. There's a doubt there. Mm-hmm. I kind of know they plan it. It's part of the manipulation, but that's conscious. The doubt is more unconscious. So mm-hmm. hard, so hard. my question. And please also thank her for her work. Mm. That's very nice. Well, very thank nice. You. <laughs> yeah. So I think the the first thing. So if you were swimming in a toxic pool, I think step number one is to jump out of the pool. Right. <laughs> right. So step number one, I'm in a toxic pool. Mm. Let me remove myself from the toxic pool. So you know, when you're in a narcissistic relationship, you know, the hardest part is that <sighs> pulling yourself mm. away from it. But the the you know, I, I use this with, um, my husband loves this. I tell him when you're in a narcissistic relationship, you're in the, you're like a chicken in the middle of a tornado. And when you're in the middle of the tornado, the chicken doesn't know, Oh, this is a tornado. It's just chaos. Mm-hmm. It's just chaos. I don't feel right. I feel dizzy. Right. Mm-hmm. Then the chicken gets kicked out of the tornado. Maybe they're a hundred yards out and they go, Oh, okay. I was in That's that. What that thing was. That's what that was. Now the yeah. chicken keeps running 200 yards. Oh, okay. Wow. That's why I felt so crazy. Keep going. 300 yards, 400, 500 yards. Suddenly you're like, it wasn't me. It was the tornado. Right? right? So you feel less crazy the more you distance yourself from, <clears throat> from the crazy tornado. Yeah. So step one is to remove yourself from this, from this situation. Right? And the less you're dealing with this toxicity, the more able you're going to be able to see things realistically because you're not going to be triggered. Once you're in survival mode and you're a, you're a, a rational person, when someone's talking to you, you're processing it and you're thinking, is that true? Is that not true? Yeah. But you're, re- you're not realizing it is absolutely not true. It's manipulation. It's meant to confuse you. But in the moment, because you're triggered, you're not thinking rationally. You don't right. have rational thought. Yeah. So the first step is to remove yourself from the situation as much as possible so that you can go, okay, that's what that is. That's what that is. And then I tell people, create a timeline. Because if you understand narcissism, they are predictable. They'll be love bombing, idealization. They'll start to discard you. Like I said earlier, I mentioned the last person I dated before I met my husband. And we were dating. He's like, did you get a nose job? And I was like, no. Oh. What? what? Oh, what? (laughs) Have you ever thought about getting a nose job? Oh like, my God. Like, no. <laughs> now all of a sudden I'm wondering like, what's, wow. what's up with my nose? And it just, that's how it started. Uh, yeah. That's how it started. Like, are you sure? Right. You know, like there's nothing wrong with getting a nose job. <laughs> wow. Just that little. So it was, you're awesome. You're so smart. You blah, blah, blah. And then everything. So it was this little. Little, uh, the devaluation yeah little by little then you know commenting about you know how how i raised my kids you know and what makes you think you're so so right about the way you raise your kids what makes me think i'm so right about the way that i raise my kids 
Uh, now I'm questioning. He doesn't think that I'm raising yeah. my kids. So the doubt. But, but it's all like it's all designed to make yes. you go. But wait, does that mean you think this? Yes. And then it's like, oh, so you're crazy. Like, oh no, that's not what I said. Exactly. Now you're like it. Just all these setups for you're double so sensitive. Yeah, the double, double bind. bind. Damned if you do and damned if you don't. Yeah. You're not gonna win, right? Yeah, it, not gonna it win. scrambles your brain. The the effects it has on people, like it's it's enormous. It'd be one thing if it was just a little bit of like, oh, it's disturbing or mm -hmm. a little drama or this that, but no, it devastates lives. Mm -hmm. It devastates dreams. It yeah. like it 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 takes you out as bad as any kind of addiction, anything. Yep. You know, I mean, you want to be close to people, and this you you have a natural innate need to want to bond with the person that that you know, was kind to you when you first met them and you're thinking, okay, this has a possibility to grow. So you're looking for every pop possibility for it to grow. And then they hit you with these comments like, mm -hmm. oh, you're so sensitive. That's not what I meant. Yeah. Why are you getting like that? Like you just, you just totally made that up. You know that you just made that up, right? Right. Gaslight. Just, yeah. Now I'm questioning, oh, maybe I did, did, did make it up. You know, yeah. like and maybe it it's is, not real. And, and there is plausible deniability in all of it. Yes. That's key, that's key in, in a lot of this stuff is there's always plausible deniability. Like, oh, that didn't mean that. Yeah. I had a girl reach out to me on Instagram. So and she says, Lisa, what should I do? She said, I, I just checked my boyfriend's phone and I know that he's about to go meet another female yeah. um, at a ho in a hotel room. What should I do? And I'm thinking, leave. <laughs> right. So she's like, should I confront him? And I'm like, well, if you, he's not going to admit it. And if he does, he's going to claim that she's a friend. You're too jealous. You're making things up or, mm -hmm. you know, it's your fault that I'm having an affair. So it's, that's what's going to come out of a narcissist's mouth because they don't take accountability. They need constant sources of narcissistic supply, you know, so you're the primary source of narcissistic supply and they need a secondary source of narcissistic supply. So it, the, I think first step, if you can, is to, and it's not always easy. You can, could have three, four, five, six children and be financially dependent upon a narcissist, but acknowledging that this is sick, this is sick, this is a tornado, you're the chicken in the tornado, mm -hmm. you need to set a boundary and start studying this stuff study the narcissism so you can see the pattern and then study codependency so you can see the patterns in you. Mm -hmm. That's the best thing you can do if you're stuck in a relationship and stick at it and eventually you'll have boundaries and it gets really scary too. I have another woman who's in mediation with someone who's been abusive for 32 years mm -hmm. and you know she, she writes me almost daily about how terrified she is to tell the truth in mediation and you know go through with the divorce. She's terrified. It's all she's ever known you know and yeah. He's convinced her that she's crazy. They're getting divorced because of her. And I'm trying to tell her that's okay. Any, it doesn't matter what he comes out of his mouth. The goal is to end this, to get become the chicken that's out of the tornado. Let right. him think whatever he wants, but he's blaming right. me. It's okay. Let it go. Right. Let it go. That's part of that 3D reality. Let it yeah, go. Yeah. That's the go. matrix you just got to walk away from. He wants you to swallow that pill so that you're upset. Yeah. He doesn't want you to date. He doesn't want you to move forward. He doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be crippled. It is difficult for people in those situations with kids, though. Mm -hmm. You know. Trust me. Yeah. Yeah. It's really tough. But it's the best thing that you can do for yourself and for them. Right. You know, because um, narcissism is literally 
um, a 3D paradigm that is unconscious and full of darkness. Right. You know, and fear is the fear is the fear is the thing. They get you afraid of what they think. They get you afraid of um, missing out of missing out on their first initial love bombing. They want you to be in mm-hmm. a, in an addictive state. They want you to crave it and be afraid of never having it. They mm. want you to be afraid of abandonment. They want you to be afraid of the smear campaign. They want you to be afraid of of dating. They want you to be afraid. So it's a 3D it's the 3D dysfunctional collective consciousness, you know, of of man that's been really dysfunctional and misguided, you know, um and seeing it for what it is is an opportunity to get kicked out of it and create a new new reality mm-hmm. and a new earth, if you will. I love that. So, one more question. Is that mm-hmm. okay? Yeah, yeah this absolutely. One, and this <laughs> last one. Sure. This one's from Mayor Wil- Wilcox on Instagram. I love that you'll be speaking with Lisa. I'm not sure if I have a specific question right now, but I would love for you and her to speak on where I am feeling myself right now in my journey. I'm finding it all easier now. I set my boundaries in 2015, doubled down on them in 2019. And now I'm just like, damn, I did this. I'm here. And I don't feel complacent or a shred of regret, the furthest thing from regret. But it is just an interesting feeling to have now realizing that it's finally easier. The thing I'd been fighting for since 2010 finally is mine. And it's just a very big thing to feel. And I love to hear from you and Lisa about that. That's beautiful. That's the whole thing. That's why I ended it with that. You're (laughs) enough. Right. Yeah. And the battle is, please tell me that I'm enough from the three day. Right. And enough people don't tell you that enough people don't validate you. And then you finally just go, there's so much pain in my body. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to get wine from a rock. Right. What if I just accepted that was a rock? Right. You know, and started to like just really focus on myself and set boundaries with people that were trying to hurt me. Or weren't of my vibe, and what if or I just were unconscious on, and yes. afraid and didn't know they were really doing what they were doing That's to right. some degree, maybe as well sometimes. Yeah, I don't yeah. think that my parents. I don't think that my parents knew they were abusive. Yeah, you know, um, my father used to sing, "You was an ugly child. Who would your who is who could your papa be? If I was your papa, I'd go jump in the sea." Right. He was he was afraid we would be conceited little kids. Right, right. You know, telling us you have no right to want that. You're selfish. You're this. Yeah. He didn't want us to be seen as conceited little kids that other other people picked on. Right. But he didn't. Re- so and he quit high school. And it's different times, exactly. too. Like people were so stupid, yes. for, you know, or ignorant, ignorant, I should say, about about psychological development and that kind of it was nuts. It You're was right. just like not You're that right. it's not nuts now, but. But if you think about, like, there was no Dr. Phil. Yeah. There was no Oprah. There, there was, was no, no Joe ex- Dispenza. Exactly. There was no Lisa A. Romana. Well, what there, there really wasn't. You know, it was just survival. Yeah. So my parents did the best that they could with what they had. Yeah. I do think that them growing up with alcoholic parents um, corrupted the way they saw themselves in the world. Yeah. Um, I don't think they realized, you know, the codependent and mesh relationship that they had is what my brother, my sister, and I ended up having. Mm-hmm. They didn't see that as a problem, you know. Um, you know, and it, it, it's up to, and that's part of the problem because when your parents don't see it's a problem, you mirror it. Yeah. You know, and you 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 want love, so it's the definition of insanity. Trying to do this thing over and over and over, seeking a different result. 
it doesn't work. Codependency doesn't work. Yeah. You know, um, you you never get satisfied when you're codependent and and you're seeking validation outside of yourself. Never. Right. You know, so the fact that this person is like, oh God, I set a boundary. You I know, know I, I know. In her case, it was like a mother kind of thing. Oh boy, yeah, that's heavy, awesome. Heavy deal. Yeah, you, 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 when yeah. you have a mother who is narcissistic, let's say, or yeah. you know, um, you literally you're cutting yourself off from the mothership, and the person that's supposed to nourish you, you're saying, "No, I know you can't. You have to grieve that. You're never going to have that relationship. You have to grieve it." And then you have to learn how to give yourself everything that this maternal figure was supposed to be able to give you, mm -hmm. right? You're supposed to, you have to give yourself something that you never experienced, that you deserved. Yeah. That's also wounded you. This is heavy stuff. It's real heavy. It's really, but if you can come out the other side of it, you are unstoppable. Mm-hmm. Unstoppable. That's true. Because you're connecting with divinity. You have to, to get through that. Because you're not looking at the 3D in the world. The Bible says, be in the world, not of the world. Right. You know, so it's like, oh, I can be in the world, know that I'm a 3D person, but also know that I'm divine yeah. and seek my own guidance and connect with divinity and trust that instinct and mm. know that I am a part of everything, even though I'm not a part of the one thing that I wish I was a part of. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm more than what I think I am. Yeah. Fasting. I have a line mm. in the song, like, I'm no longer who I was, no longer who I thought I was. But that just reminded me of that. But Love fasting that. puts a... Uh, puts that in like being like puts the body in its proper place it mm -hmm. heals the body but it also elevates the spirit over the body like you're kind of like overcoming hunger you're prioritizing spirit over mm -hmm. over the body and and it's just this like it really like when you combine that in with like prayer it's a really powerful thing tool oh yeah you know? we, it is, i think that you know in terms of the mental health community we can't keep ignoring that most well lots of us consider ourselves spirit too mm -hmm. so i think mental health the mental health community has to start understanding spirit and vibration right and the spiritual community has to understand the brain and the amygdala and right. fight or flight and survival yeah. and automatic default settings and the default mode network and of course you have anxiety and that's normal and you know so that we can we can bring our bodies and our minds into a state of at least homeostasis where yeah. I'm not reacting to the way I feel because I know the way I feel is normal based on my experiences. Now that I know that I'm normal and not judging myself, now maybe I can notice what I notice without recoiling from shame. And like also just like when you put both those worlds together, the ego and the spirit, it's like, okay, on the spirit level, your mom at the end with dementia, mm -hmm. I love you so much, mm -hmm. you know, that's the spirit that yes. was always there. Absolutely. But the ego is also needs to be reckoned with and acknowledged yes. and you had to protect yourself from the the ego part so like if people can like really put those and i think that's what i was initially confused about when i said with the ho'oponopono like mm -hmm. but wait if in the spiritual realm i'm responsible for everything mm -hmm. how can i then call someone else a narc you know mm -hmm. or something like that but the, but that does uh, answer that question really well you're responsible for how you feel right not responsible for what was done to you you're responsible for how you feel about a narcissist right you're responsible for your level of consciousness regarding who a narcissist is you're you're responsible for for what you can your judgment of someone you're you're responsible for your evolution of mind regarding because uh -huh. i had to get to a point where i said my mother's ego 
was only trying to protect the little girl inside of her. Right. So, and she was unconscious. So that's the danger of living in an unconscious world with unconscious spirits because everyone's reacting to their subconscious fears. Right. They just don't know it. And so once I, once I see you and you and my husband and my children as wounded beings who are 95% unconscious most of the time, then the behavior makes sense. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a space of forgiveness that I can offer and grace and then make a decision. There are times where I tell my kids, I can't talk to you today. They might be highly reactive. And I know that, uh-oh, they've been triggered. Cognitive right. bias, I'm wrong, I'm the devil. This isn't going to work. You know, right. and I'm not going to seek their approval and reinforce this. Let me let things calm down and revisit this when they're calm, not judge them. Right. You're ungrateful. You're this. You're crazy. And don't do that. Right. Because that's reactivity. So as long as I understand that most everybody has an ego, that's a default because all men are born asleep. Yeah. So we have to be able to be sim characters. We have to be able to be these um, Zelda characters. We have to be able to be these little Pac-Men, yeah. you know, in a world that moves fast. You have to be able to be on autopilot and most keep, of the and time. Keep your boundaries strong. Consciously. Yeah. Consciously, from the conscious realm, do what you can to notice what you notice and mold it. Pluck out what's not good. Pluck yeah. out. Pluck. That's what you're responsible for. How you feel about someone else is how what you're responsible for. Like, what are you going to hold on to? Right. With my ex-husband, I have no anger towards him. Mm-hmm. I have no. I learned the most. He's one of the greatest teachers I've ever had in my life. Mm-hmm. And because he refused to wake up, I was forced to wake up. Yeah. If he was just a little bit more awake, I might still be in the relationship. Right. But because he was so unawake, you know, and so asleep, I was forced to like. Oh, I had to shift. Yeah. I had to shift. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Are you kidding? This has thank been you. a total thrill and just such an amazing conversation. Yeah, I loved it. Did Anytime. You, you, did you? Are you recording? <laughs> <laughs> we hope so. Because if that didn't and get recorded, got, and we got a Zelda reference too in the go. end, which was great. I used to play that all the time <laughs> with my son. Me too. Oh, you loved it. How do people? Uh, can people, do you only do seminars? Can people mm. book you individually? Um, where do well, people find um, you? Yeah, I give have, all the um, social medias and all that. Sure. You can find me at www.lisaaromano.com. But um, one of, I would say, just plugging it because it works. Go for it. You know, I have an on-demand program. It's called the 12-Week Breakthrough Coaching Program. So someone who's struggling with being raised in a narcissistic family or a very codependent family, a family where there was addiction, alcoholism, um, you opt into this class. It's an online class. It goes for 12 weeks. If you take the on-demand version, you get a new lesson every week. You have a week to study the material, and then you get the next lesson. Because when I was creating the program, I studied the science of learning, and I realized that um, you needed a, you need a little bit of information every week for it to settle in. Because too much is cognitive overload. You're not going to retain anything. And so um, I also wanted to help people change their brain through many different resources. So not just video, meditation, not just meditation, journaling prompts, not just journaling prompts, actual homework assignments. So it's the mind, body, the entire body is involved in this healing of this subconscious programming. Um, And you can also, if you wanted to do, you could take a live class with me. So I also have a live version. I launched that twice a year. Um, that comes with a live Facebook group and a live weekly live stream with me where you can ask me anything. Mm. Um, and so... Is there a I wait have, list? 
Um, not right now. It's opened, but there are times. There have been times in the past we actually had to close the class. So I, uh, you know, I've trained five different life coaches to do what I do, um, and they also help me with the live class. Because some people they don't want to do Facebook. That I just want to do this in my own time, my own home. That's mm -hmm. fine. You know, and then there are people like, oh, I know, I, I want to be able to reach out to a life yeah, coach. Yeah, community kind of thing. Yeah, I want to be able to talk to Lisa or have a question answered. So um, there's that. And I have, I continue to write books and create programs that I needed when I was waking up. Yeah. Because it's all, it's all about recognizing the codependency and the narcissism, the patterns, and then raising your level of consciousness so that you can notice what you notice. So in that space, change. And in that space, you become the creator of your own reality because you're molding the now. You're how how do you now. stay vigilant with it when all your life has like evolved sort of beyond that to a degree as well? Um, I'm never going to forget what it felt like to be codependent and racked with anxiety and, and feeling so insufficient and so insignificant. Um, and I just feel so much hope with the, with the answer and the solution. There is a solution, you know, and I'm just really, really excited. I know that I have to reach people where they are right. to get them to where they have to go. So I see myself as I see there's a bridge and I'm on the bridge. So I have to keep one hand in the community of people say, I know where you are. I know exactly how you feel. I've been there and I've got some solutions that you might want to investigate. So I stay on the bridge and I feed them then this information so that they can cross the bridge, you know, so mm -hmm. they can become a ripple in the world, you know. And the best thing is in the world is when I get um, letters from children of moms who, who are like, my mom took your class and it's just so different now. You know? Wow. It's so different now, you know. She, she doesn't have anxiety anymore. Her and my dad get along so much better. Or I had a man um, write me an email and he's like, I got my wife back. She never understood how the relationship with her mom affected her. And right. she she felt like I was like abandoning her when I wasn't. Right. You know, and it wasn't until she dove into her childhood issues that she was able to see that, you know, she was seeing abandoned in me, even though I wasn't abandoning her. Mm -hmm. You know, so she's not abandoning herself anymore. So th that mirror has been shattered. Wow. Because when you when you've been abandoned, you abandon yourself, and you you see abandonment even when someone really isn't abandoning you in some right. cases. So the mirror mirror shatters, and now she's taking care of herself. It's just you know, little by one person at a time, you change the world. Yeah, well, you've changed many people's oh. lives, so including mine. Listen, all I, I do is hold the flashlight. <laughs> yeah. All I do is hold the flashlight. Everybody else, if your life has changed, it's because, it like has. you said, you're doing the, the meditations. Because I wrote, I am enough on my my mirror. Amen. You know? So did I. Even though you told me to do it, <laughs> I did it. Listen, I had I am enough on my cereal boxes. Yeah. Ask my kids. Yeah, like, I remember, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. I had notes everywhere. I'm like, you don't understand. Yeah. Mommy doesn't think she's good enough. Mommy has to be reminded that she's enough. Like, mm. yeah, my kids like, mommy's crazy. Well, you are definitely enough. Well, so are you. Far from crazy. Yeah, I love you thank very you, much. Lisa. Namaste. Thank you. Namaste. Thank you Thanks for everybody. My home. Ehud, thank, you. Thank, yes, you. thank you for inviting us. Yeah. For setting up. It took Ehud. a long time to get here, but oh, it was worth it. Yeah. Thanks so much. I thank can't you wait for, for part two. Amen. <laughs> yeah. You're changing the world. You really yeah. are. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Namaste. everybody. Bye. Bye.
Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast, and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated.